Hello and welcome under the Kotatsu. Uh, I'm your host, Austin, joined as always by Danny. Hello. And Danielle. Hey, nerds. Uh, and we are here now to talk about now and then here and there uh danny's pick for us this time uh but before we get into any of that uh what is everybody uh, at the table drinking let's start with you danny uh i'm having some flavored water it's uh strawberry flavored that's it all right uh danielle what about you i have got some coffee with amaretto nice I wish it was still early enough in the day for me to be drinking coffee, but it is a, I've already had too much coffee today. Uh, so I'm drinking a beer, which <laughs> I'm fucking pushing the time I can drink coffee, especially because I need to get to sleep really early for me personally tonight. Mm, that's true. Uh, Are you having a Oktoberfest beer? No, well, eh, I'm having a seasonally appropriate beer. I'm drinking a maple brown ale, which is actually oh, okay. very nice. Um, I've had one of these before, I think from the same brewer, so I don't know if they've like changed the recipe, if it's a different one than they normally do, but I didn't like the one I had before because I thought it was like way too maple-y. This one's like just the right amount of maple in it. I'm very into it. Um, maple is overwhelming. Uh, I don't love like maple bacon bars all that much because like the maple is just like all I taste. It's so like I, I like sweet things. Maple stuff for whatever reason always hits me as like sickly sweet kind of stuff. Like it just doesn't work for yeah. me. See, I'm not a big sweet person, but maple stuff usually is fine for me. <laughs> oh my god, is like is like treacly the right right word that they use for that kind of yeah kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. someone on Great Bitch Bake Off say that. Yeah, I I also can only have you know like one solid glass of maple syrup before I have to cut myself off. You know, too much of a good thing <laughs> of maple syrup. Of <laughs> maple syrup. <laughs> um, and then on also on Great Bitch Bake Off, they then uh, talk about uh uh. Pico de Gio or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, just guacamole. The the British are here to run over every culture. <laughs> um all right, well um speaking of uh uh culture and ideology, <laughs> we've got an anime to talk mm. about. Um uh so Danny, this was your pick now and then here and there. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit about uh history with the show, why you picked it, any sort of preamble? Yeah, so I this is something that I remember watching forever ago. Um I thought it was on Toonami, it was not. Um I might have seen it on like Netflix or it might have been something that I saw on goodanime.xyz or whatever, you know, some Russian site or whatever. Um it in my head, I think I watched it around the time that I watched Madoka. Um, I might even <laughs> I might have even searched like anime like Madoka, and like this mm. came up in the recommendations because it's like equally dark and twisted. And like at that point, oh fucking Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, yeah, my media liter- literacy was like I mean literally Adam like thirteen year old, fourteen year whatever like. You know, I had no context for Madoka outside of like, oh, it's like this dark, twisted subversion. And because this is not what magical girl shows are like, watch our episode or listen to our episode uh, to find out why that's wrong. Um, but and also Gundam's not really a mecha show or whatever the fuck. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, I remember watching it then. I think it might have been something that I got bored of midway through and i might have just like skipped to the end i don't remember because again i was like probably like 13 or something like that this came out in 1999 i think um so i was not watching it as it aired um i would have been like five or four um so uh so yeah that's that's my general experience with it it was something that well again it's just one of those things that you remember watching it forever ago and and um 
you know, you had these preconceptions of what anime is. You know, at that time, it's like Dragon Ball Z, Madoka, whatever. Um, and and this was something, and and you know, as we've seen on this pod, uh, that's something that is worth exam- re-examining through through a new lens, um, for better or worse. Uh, so that's why I was excited to choose it, and that's why. In the coming picks, you'll probably see a lot of similar things, like similar rationales as to why I pick something. It's like, oh, I remember either watching it all the way through when I was younger, or catching episodes on Toonami. Uh, unfortunately, most of those I don't think I could pick, because it's like, Inuyasha, I think, is like really fucking long, and mm-hmm. like, Yu Yu Hakusho and, and all that. It's like, because, yeah. you know, that's what they showed on Toonami, was like the serial long anime. They, they At that point, they didn't really show a lot of super, super short things, like Cowboy Bebop's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that they showed around that era that was uh, short. Like tr- Trigun isn't terribly long. It's like 20-something episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, Shamurai Champloon, also like the same length as Bebop. Uh, but yeah, a lot of stuff on Toonami Adult Swim was a lot longer. We'll have to do like a um, show and tell where we specifically like pick a show that you remembered watching on Toonami that you've not watched since that way I can pick oh, yeah. Zatch Bell <laughs> desperate to go back to Zatch Bell um, play that Isn't GameCube fighting series game. starting I guess so that soon? <laughs> we got Bleach back we've got Zatch Bell back it's fucking 2006 again baby Hunter and, Hunter and Bleach, about Bleach is done back. now well Bleach is, is starting it's uh you know final arc even though that's a mm. really long chunk of the manga, um, if I remember. And the correctly. second part of the manga should be starting sometime soon. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, uh, R- R- uh, Roni Kenshin is, is coming back, so... Oh, uh... We can all be winners. Got got that listed in my notes for other reasons. <laughs> so, oh, no! Oh, we'll talk, oh, okay. We'll talk about that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, I'll just say real quick that I have not seen the show, but this, uh, both on my, like, mental list of shows I wanted to get around to watching just personally, and I have, like, a small list of shows that I have thought about picking for this podcast just to have that all organized, and this was, like, near the top. Um, not necessarily in terms of, like, I was gonna pick it soon, but it was, like, one of the first few that, like, came to me as, like, oh, yeah, I should maybe pick that at some point. So, you you let me scratch that off my list. Uh, But, Danielle, have you seen or knew much about the show before now? Uh, No, I haven't, and immediately upon reading the uh, summary, I was like, oh, no, I'm not gonna, this is not gonna be for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, There's a lot going on in the show. Um, some background information, though, before we get into it. Uh, this show aired between 1999 and 2000. Kind of started at the end of 1999 and finished in the first two months of uh, 2000, I think. So kind of spanned the millennium, uh, which means uh, it's Cell Animation, baby. It's been a while since we watched one of these. I guess not counting Angel's Egg, like since we watched a show that was like made pre-digital animation. So... Um, it's directed by uh, Akitaro Daichi. Um, I, this is at the bottom of my notes about him, but I should say it up front. Um, in 2018, uh, one of the voice actresses who worked on several of his shows, including this one, uh, came out and alleged that her manager had um, uh, propositioned her into entering a mixed bath with uh, Akitaro Daichi, um, and she refused and was subsequently like blacklisted from the voice acting industry. So, uh, you know. That's the only such story that's out about this guy, but, you know, keep that in your mind uh, when you think about people that made this. Um, but he is known for uh, uh, directing uh, Kodocha, uh, o- Ojarumaru, 
which is apparently the third longest running anime to date. It has, uh, according to Wikipedia, 1,947 episodes. Um, What's uh, the longest? Do you know? Off the top of your head? Is it, uh, is it like Card Sakura? No, no. I wish no. there were that many oh. episodes of Card <laughs> Sakura. No, I think it's Damn like forever, it's, baby. It's like a uh, uh, Saiza san or however you say whatever the name of that show is. Um, uh, basically, like uh, family sitcom anime type thing um, that's just no, okay. going on for forever. Um, he directed uh, the first Fruits Basket anime, the like incomplete adaptation, um, Kamisama Kiss, uh, DD Fist of the North Star, which is like the chibi comedy version of Fist of the North Star, uh, Tonkatsu DJ Agataro. Uh, which is another kind of gag comedy show. Uh, and doing research for this, I learned this was getting an anime, but the um, uh, kind of well-loved, currently running comedy manga, uh, Me and Robico, is getting an anime adaptation next season, I believe, and uh, he is directing that. So a lot of his stuff is like more kind of comedy-focused, which, spoilers, not this kind of show, <laughs> um, although there's some lighthearted elements at times. It's not like all bleak, but um, that's kind of what he's known for. It's written by Hideyuki uh, Kurita, um, who has uh, lead writing credits on things like Battle Athletes, Kanagi, uh, Oreimo, uh, the My Little Sister Can't Be This Cute show, um, uh, <laughs> Samurai Flamenco, uh, the two Fruit of the Grisea uh, anime, uh, Maria the Virgin Witch, uh, Scorching Ping Pong Girls, Maiden Abyss, uh, and then here's the unfortunate ones, Goblin Slayer and Rionin Kenshin uh, 2023. So he's a head writer on the new anime that that's kidding. Um, and I guess he's also notable for being a frequent collaborator with Yosuke Kuroda, who's like a bigger name. Uh, it's a name I knew. Um, you'll probably know something he's done because uh, he was lead writer for um, Trigun, Scryed, um, pretty much all of the Tenchi Muyo stuff, uh, Gundam Double Zero, Gundam Build Fighters, My Hero Academia, and Birdie Wing. Um, so there's something for everybody in that list. Uh, and then the studio that produced this is Studio AIC. That stands for Anime International Company. Uh, they are known for um, doing all the Tenchi Muyo anime, uh, Bubblegum Crisis, El Hazard. Um, and I couldn't find specifically what happened. The Wikipedia page kind of points to just a lot of corporate managing happening and things getting bought and sold off dozens of times over in the span of a few years. But seemingly, they're they are a defunct uh, animation studio as of like 2013, uh, 2014. That's kind of a uh, side effect of all of that corporate stuff going on. Like the company that owned AIC like being sold off and portioned off in a million ways. And they just kind of stopped making anime at a certain point. Um, but I think that's all the background we got. Um, in the habit of what we've been doing recently, and especially with a kind of show like this, we should start with like a vibes check of, of how did we feel about um, these first seven episodes. Uh, Danny, do you want to start since this was uh, your pick? So good vibes in that I like the quality, uh, though it is a very heavy show. Um, for the most part, I feel that it uh, has a lot of... It's not like dark as in edgy, it's dark as in like... It has the kind of gravitas of, like, war. Um, I had a lot of feelings towards, um, uh, or kind of, like, there are a lot of, like, references I felt to kind of, like, Imperial, Imperial Japan slash World War II era actions of, of Japan slash Germany. Um, so there was one part that struck me the wrong way that we'll, we'll get into. Uh, putting it up at the front, by the way, content warning for a lot of different things, including sexual assault uh, on children. Um, and at first I was like, oh, like, 
this is weird. Like, why is this in here? And then later, it's kind of, like, recontextualized for me as, like, okay, I get why they're doing it, you know, and I appreciate that they're not trying to titillate you with it. They're not trying to be like, look at this girl, and like, whatever. Um, you know, it, it handled, to, to me, it handled its kind of heavy subject matter uh, well and made you feel kind of what I, I think is like an intentional sadness of like, you know, not, not as it's not black and white morality, but it's not like everything's gray morality either. Um, you know, there are some people who are unequivocally evil, um, but it does also get into things that it's like, yeah, like this is a complicated character. And it's like, can you humanize this person? Mm, maybe, maybe not, depending on the person. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting stuff going on that I, I really liked. Right. I'm uh, excited well, for the next six episodes. Yes, same. Uh, let's do a compliment sandwich because I kind of know generally how we feel. Uh, Danielle, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts about the show kind of broadly? What's, what's your vibe check? I don't think this was like... Um, I, I think the production as a whole got across everything that the uh, staff working on it wanted it to just say. But this was one of the most miserable anime watching experiences that I've had. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I... Just a lot of things did not come together for me, and some of the smaller details with regards to certain parts of it, um, uh, rubbed me the wrong way. So, um, <laughs> so, we three, for listeners, we, like, watch movies together, and when some, there's, like, one specific thing that will happen in a lot of older action movies we watch that I fucking groan every single goddamn time it happens, and it happened here, and I just, <laughs> my, um, willingness to engage with the show on its own level dropped after that mm. and my vibes have been pretty negative since that you're speaking specifically of movies such as uh the death wish film starring charles bronson uh yes <laughs> which much less thematically uh deft than um this show is in my opinion but we'll we'll see how we all come out when we uh talk through those things because we'll definitely have s several key episodes to talk about that kind of stuff um so maybe we should just get into it. Uh, I'll reiterate what Danny said, which is like, you know, heavy content warnings on this one for um, sexual assault on uh, a minor and uh, just general kind of like, uh, you know, there's child soldiers in the show. <laughs> there's, you know, minor abuse. There's like emotional abuse and manipulation. Like it's, you know, there's a lot going on. We're going to talk candidly about a lot of that stuff. So definitely like I'll try to be real thorough with the content warnings in the episode description. So maybe check that before you. You keep listening. Um, but anyway, uh, so we watched the first seven episodes, by the way, uh, of this 13-episode show. And episode one is called A Girl Admiring the Sunset. Uh, a boy, or a young boy named Shuzo Shu Mazutani, goes by Shu, um, loses a kendo match at his dojo where his opponent criticizes him for his lack of defense. Uh, walking across town later that day, Shu sees a girl whose name is Lala Ru sitting on a smokestack watching the sunset. After a short amount of time talking to her, uh, time suddenly freezes as a green beam of light covers the surrounding area. Lalaru ends up being captured by officers controlling snake-like machines uh, and is transported back into a stationary battleship named Heliwood. Uh, Shu is accidentally brought with them. Shu and Lalaru, after being chased by more soldiers, are separated uh, at an operating bridge in the water tower. Here, Shu grabs Lalaru's pendant before he plummets into a tunnel to the outside, um, where he sees uh, the barren wasteland that lies beyond Hollywood. Um, I don't know about y'all, like but I thought this was like a 
Sorry, what? Just like Star Wars. Just like Star Wars, <laughs> yes. Uh, they're, they're on Tatooine. That's the big reveal at the end. It's like, this was really the Star Wars world all along. I did unironically think of Star like the scene where Luke gets, uh, gets his hand cut off, spoiler alert, and thrown mm. into a, the thing, and he's like dangling off the, the... It's a cloud instead of a desert. But I was like, wait a minute, this is Star Wars. He does fall through like the air shoot, or the like the air ducts in the way the that garbage, Luke yeah, does in yeah. um, episode five. Uh, yeah. I thought this was a pretty solid first episode of the show. I don't think like spoilers. I guess I, I guess I didn't really <laughs> say my opinions on the show. I'm with Danny, but also maybe a little bit more positive. I really liked these first seven episodes. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about the things I like as we go through it. But uh, I don't think I was like fully won over on the show. Other than I'm just like, man, it is so nice to be watching a show made in the glorious year of 1999. <laughs> it's like right <laughs> on the precipice before anime starts looking a lot less exciting to me. Did you watch, or did y'all watch the uh, sub or dub? Oh, I watched the um, sub. I watched it in Japanese. Subtitles here as well. Okay, I I watched it with the dub, um, and I, I flipped back and forth just to see what the VAs sounded like. Um, the the VAs in the Japanese dub uh, a, a lot more fitting, like their voices sound like middle schoolers, uh, but I just liked the. <laughs> <laughs> the adult male voices coming out of these little kids. <laughs> I was like, this is so, like, it's like, oh, what, like, when is Stephen Bloom going to show up and, you know, just drop his, his dulcet tone for Shu or whatever? But uh, he, he he did not. But I do have some VA uh, notes uh, for the English dub. Don't look at them. They're, they're really exciting. Okay. Some of the uh, uh, Japanese voice actors are also, at least to me, exciting. And so maybe you'll regret watching the dub. But um mm. Um, my, my first note is literally, God bless how beautifully grainy the show is, you know, because it's <laughs> on film stock. It's like, man, we, we had it so good, and then computers took it all away from us. Of all my issues with the show, how it looks is not really one of them. Honestly, um, the feelings I was getting were, like, very similar to, uh, me watching certain Ghibli films where it's like, wow, this is, like, produced so fucking well. Also, I hate every minute of watching this. <laughs> <laughs> And it, a lot of the the kind of quality highlights for me when the like there's like um, I don't know if it's in this episode or the next one, but the uh, the part where they like fire the big like positron cannon or whatever the fuck and like blow up the other enemy's ship, like just the the gravity of like the explosion there comes across so much better because you know there's the film grain and all that or you know whatever cell cell grain and defects. And it's like on a sandy planet, and like everything's like blown the fuck up. And it's like, wow, it's like, <laughs> it it's it feels dirty in a way that works. Whereas like a lot of like other explosions feel very like sterile and clean. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, oh wow, this this works to be to kind of be kind of messy. But yeah, no, look very good looking show. Well, just in this first episode, there's some really great shots. Um, when um, well, one just like the you know, because they kind of ground you in this episode before he gets taken to the, the hell world. Um, but uh, I guess literally hell E world. Um, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Um, but, um, you know, like even like the ideal kind of countryside shots, it just all like looks really good. And there's lots of great animation of like Shu running through the streets. So like all the people like go into the shops and stuff. And he talks about like the, oh, the like food stall that he always passes by. And the guy always gives him a free croquette, even though he thinks his croquettes are bad but telling him that his croquettes are bad just made him give him two croquettes instead of one it's like you know cute little details but all the animation there is really good uh but i think the standouts like the screenshots i have in my notes are like the um 
shots of the sunset that Lalalu is um, looking at um, uh, when they're up at the top of the water fountain. And then um, the last shot of the episode where you see um, Hollywood silhouetted against like a massive sun and then like the kind of barren wasteland all around it. Um, just really gorgeous, like storyboarding in the show. Um, and I'll have more to say about it. So I'll just, I'll just pin it here, but really good, like visual economy in the show in terms of like doing a lot with a little or, you know, doing the most with what you have in terms of um, visual storytelling. So, um, yeah. just kind of out of the gate was impressed by that and how do we feel about shu as a character you know he's kind of the first thing we get like you said we get grounded in of, of who shu is um i have i have strong feelings about this i do too i love him he's a he's a perfect boy <laughs> yes yeah, oh my god he's so good um i thought he was fine the first few episodes and then his naivete really started to grate on me i I loved how pure-hearted he was. I love mm-hmm. that kind of, like, you know, boy so... Or person so pure in a world that is, like, strictly not compatible. You know, the the trope of, like, my friends are my power, or, like, I'm gonna do this no matter what. Something like that in Naruto, where it's like, yeah, he can feel like that because his friends are his power and he can rely on them, whatever. Like, okay, fine. But here, it just, it, it strikes so much harder because... It's like this this sheer indomitable spirit in the face of absolute hopelessness that I'm just like, hell yeah, Shu, you go for it. You you just keep going. I fully agree. I'm, I'm nodding sagely at your, your wise words. This is like <laughs> one of my favorite archetypes of like anime characters is like the like sure willed, like headstrong, like I'm going to, you know, uh, do what I think is right regardless of the consequences kind of thing, which like, you know. It's not really him in this first episode. He's mostly just like, you know, I, I think I have some quotes where he's like, uh, he's, I think it's kind of great that he's like, like infatuated with this girl, Lala Rue, and she's like saying nothing to him. And so he's just like talking to himself basically. And he's so cute. Uh, uh, I have these lines of like, well, it's okay. I'll, I'll just have to win tomorrow. He's talking about his kendo match. I'll just have to win tomorrow. If not tomorrow, the day after that, if not, then I'll win someday. Yes, sir. As long as I'm alive, I'll have my day. And it's just like, yeah, it's cute. Like, this is like, why? Um, you know, so we, we've talked about on the show before of like anime has a problem of like wanting to set things in high school, but having like adult dramas in a way where it's just like, you should just set this like in college or in like a workplace or somewhere else. This is like when it's good to have like a child protagonist where it's like, you know, this wouldn't feel as sincere if it was like a 30 year old man saying these lines, but it's like, he's just like a a boy. Um, and I, I believe in him. I, I believe he'll win, win someday. I made a note when he's doing that scene where he, like, I was like, I love how much of a dweeb he is. Like, just him, like, trying desperately to, like, act cool and, like, say the right things in front of this cute girl. And, like, uh, you know, it, it felt like a middle schooler without being, like, Dojima from Bloom Into You, where it's <laughs> like, oh, he... The only way he knows how to communicate is by asking who the sexy girl is. Who do you want to fuck, uh... Uh, asexual guy, uh, oh, Miko. I tell you his name. <laughs> whatever. Maki. Whatever. What's that? I think it was Maki. Maki. Sure. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, instead, it's just like this absolute fucking dweeb, and he's just like, well, you know, he, he tells all that the, that whole story about the croquettes completely unprompted. I think Lalaru is not even looking at him, and it's just like that's the kind of it. It's like, yeah, I can just imagine like a a middle school kid just like trying his best to engage with someone and like be like oh i think you're really cool and just not getting anything back i, I love that kind of dumb energy mm-hmm. i mean i i do usually like that archetype it's just uh 
this fucking show makes me hate everything in it. <laughs> Another great moment is uh, he's, uh, you know, he, he's spotted her up at the top of this, like, smokestack, and he can't climb the one that she's up at the top of because the ladder's broken. And, hmm, what's up with that? How did she get up there? Uh, and so he climbs the neighboring one, and she doesn't recognize it or see he's up there at first, so he's, like, preparing himself to say hello. He's, like, saying it under his breath, like, practicing it. <laughs> and he finally lets it out. It's just, like, his voice cracks, and it's just, like, does it come out right <laughs> like oh he and he's like up. he just starts like throwing shit at her <laughs> like it's like fucking shakama it's just mm-hmm. throwing progressively larger things until she looks over and there's a point where he's trying to like look in her eyes and he starts like he's basically at, like a 90 degree angle and he like pulls himself back up i kind of love and this is i can't remember if it happens later on but like the way like physicality conveys things like it, it's not you know he's not just saying funny stuff it's like oh you t- you could tell a lot about him by like the fact that he does a Looney Tunes fucking like pull up, uh, and, and it, it just like worked really well for me. Like his kind of you know, and uh, that's the only time he does something like that. <laughs> it's just like just one off gag, and it's like oh great, establish that he's just a little hopeless little dweeb. There's a really great payoff to that too, though, because like you know he like kind of. You know, like you said, like in a Looney Tunes sort of dramatic fashion, almost falls off the side of the smokestack. And then later when, like, the people from Hollywood are attacking him and um, LaLaRue, like, try to capture LaLaRue, like, he has to make, like, a big jump between the the smokestacks as, like, one of them's crumbling. And he does make it. And then there's, like, the um, uh, scene at the end of the episode where he goes to jump to grab LaLaRue's hand and he doesn't make it that time. You know, so you get, like, the kind of like oh my god he's gonna fall oh no he doesn't oh my god he's gonna fall oh, no he doesn't and then third time he does fall and then that's like at the end of the episode when he's hanging out of the window and looking at the the hell world outside yeah and uh oh, i love his little story about like him being like i'm the only one who was brave enough to climb the smokestack everyone else would cry halfway up it's like yeah hell yeah kid mm-hmm. um i love the the little fight scene with the the mecha snakes uh i think that was really kind of like well choreographed you kind of knew where everything was the whole time uh even though it was like really chaotic and like the kind of uh again kind of immediately establishing him as you know in the first scene we get the kendo match where he's like shown as this brazen guy who runs into anything much to the uh chagrin of of not sasuke um whatever the guy's name was oda or whatever yeah, Oda. And you know, he just like is like, fuck it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna beat the fuck out of these uh mech suits with my wooden stick. And he just and he does. He just does it. That's just something he, it's like because he, he just believed in himself. The mecha snakes are extremely cool. Love I love how they snakes. tighten around shit. Like they tighten around the smokestack to like like they use the fact that it's a snake to mm-hmm. like to convey stuff. It's not just, oh yeah, it's a big uh big long mech. It's like, no, it's it's coiling around when it clamps on something the smokestack starts to crumble a bit it's, it's really nice and the music's really good oh the music is so good i did not put this in my introductory notes but i do have the wikipedia page open uh music's done by uh taku uh iwasaki um who uh has done music for things like uh black cat kakaishi uh soul eater black butler uh katana Gatari, um jojo's bizarre adventure battle tendency gotcha man crowds um Bungo Stray Dogs, uh, Gurren Lagann, a um, uh, bunch of other stuff. Um, and yeah, the music is extremely good. Uh, one of the other things in the show that I just like locked onto immediately is like, oh, I kind of love this. <laughs> um, uh, and the music continues to be good. Also, the sound design is very good. Um, I don't know if y'all picked much of that out, but like all the sounds in the show are just 
like really great and like i don't know just the foley work is very good and it's all very believable uh, but i think i have that in my notes a couple times yeah a lot of the little production details like you know we talked about like the large scale things but you know just like the small things sound design um the guns that they carry all look kind of like ramshackle they, they all have like this like it looks like cord wrapping right it looks like a fucking shinzo abe gun like, <laughs> like this, i thought that every time they pulled a gun i was like oh no get down abe um but uh there's just a lot of like little things that it just like oh this really works out and like uh both just like giving scale to things and like geography and like impact it, it all kind of works together uh perfectly i was gonna ask you all a question about lalaru but i feel like save it for another episode um or an upcoming episode um so i don't have anything else about this first episode pretty much just oh i do have one other note uh, i reminded myself i was gonna say it pretty much just sets up the stakes of the show um i'm a noted uh i think i've said it on the show several times noted non-enjoyer of uh isekai which the show would technically you know fall into because uh, he you know ends up in a, another world um uh, or another time um uh, see how the show lands on that i guess that's one of my questions going forward but um i i have seen plenty of other modern isekai shows that they really just jump right into bam you're in another world um some of them will really just start in media res and then backfill like how they came to be you know whether that's getting hit by a truck or, or something um but <laughs> i loved how much time we spent in like the modern world before he gets taken into the the fantasy world um it's just kind of like one of my first notes where I was like, oh, this show is doing stuff that like other isekai shows nowadays just like don't do um, or just are not interested in. And that's one of those things. It's just like clearly the show is interested in like, you know, he like runs through this whole thing of like talk. He's telling Lalaru about his neighborhood. That's when he tells her about the croquette guy. But he also and we get these kind of like cutaway shots to these things of like he talks about his neighbor who's like a retired old man and he only cares about his like pottery. And he got really mad this one time shoe like, you know broke one of his vases or whatever um and it's just like kind of like building out the small kind of corner of the world before he gets ripped away from it um and it's the kind of move that i just don't think a lot of modern shows would are interested in doing whether that's a good thing or a bad thing you know it's up to you but i think like i found that interesting about this show like from the jump it's like you know you could look at the show and be like oh it's like kind of like a earlier isekai show than kind of the modern trend and like that's one of the first like big differences that jumped out to me the the big thing that jumped out to me in terms of the isekai trend is and i'm not super well versed with the genre so y'all might be able to correct me i can't think of many isekais that the the other world is like distinctly worse like just the worst fucking place to be like most of the time it's you get isekai to a fantasy world and you're a slime or a harem op or whatever the fuck and here it's just like oh you're in hell leewood like it's it's not a good place to be and i can't think of many other isekais like that I'm sure there are exist. plenty out there they I'm are sure. just less likely to get anime mm. what i know well, and some of the more popular ones that you could, like, describe the setting as being, like, kind of hostile, the, I think the difference here is, like, those kinds of shows tend to be, like, power fantasies, where it's, like, yeah, you're reincarnated and, and you're the one that's going to, like, tame this wild world, which is, like, a whole loaded thing to unpack, you know, per show. <laughs> but this isn't that kind of show. Like, it's not, you know, Shu is, like, just barely trying to, like, you know, hold on to his, like, morality and, and his sense of self, like, in 
uh, in the world of, of Hollywood um, that he finds himself in. It's it's definitely not a power fantasy. I'd say the um, actually like the more current popular, at least the trend I've been seeing a lot is um, the isekai or fantasy thing where a bad thing is the start of it, and then like a lot of it is just like the uh, heroes coming back from the bad thing at the start. That's a mode a lot of them operate in nowadays mm. rather than sorry i don't really know where i'm going with it i i'm just not familiar with the the genre space all that much yeah as someone who's i feel like probably the most familiar on this podcast i i don't really feel like the shows um they're interesting to compare but i don't think the show is actively trying to to say much about you know these things because they were absolutely not nearly as common back then well i guess to to make my point clear is that like it's not that the show is reacting um yeah to to anything else it's more just it's it's an interesting divide between like this was how the genre space was working back then versus how it works now um and like now it is like much more of like a well-defined genre in its own right than it probably was in you know 1999 um there were certainly isekai stories and anime before this but it doesn't really become like a veritable like genre until later um, at least to my understanding. Um, but I just thought it was like interesting to kind of point out the difference there, especially because like, you know, we'll talk more about the setting, but it is like way more of like a, uh, a technological, like dystopian setting and not like a, uh, you know, like a straight fantasy kind of Lord of the Rings style world. Um, uh, you know, the, I guess like the thing I kept thinking about, not that this was, I guess this is technically post that game, but like, it reminded me of fallout in terms of like how the world operates right of like you know this is like uh something has happened that is just like incredibly like collapsed uh like large-scale societies and like weird new societies have have formed up in in the wreckage of that um which is just like a very different kind of setting than a lot of modern isekais get and so like that's not to say like good or bad or one or the other it's just like wow things were in a different place in 1999 than they were now shocker i guess Um, (laughs) But anyway, um, I think that's that'll probably do this for episode one. Um, pretty simple episode compared to some of the other ones. Uh, I have one voice actor uh, per episode. Um, uh, so uh, first voice actor will be for Matsutani Shuzo or Shu. Uh, he is voiced by Okamura uh, Akemi, who I don't have a lot of voice actor notes for because she's too busy being Nami in all of One Piece, um, <laughs> which I think, oh. I think she's voicing Nami by the time the show airs. Um, the production on One Piece might have started after the show's production, but um, but One Piece, I believe, starts in 1999, so uh, it's right around that time. Uh, but she's done a couple of the notable things. Uh, she is Fio in Porco Rosso. It's like the main girl uh, in that show. Uh, she's Hinoe in Natsume Yujincho, uh, uh, Natsume's Book of Friends, I think is the English title for that. Uh, Mayaya in Princess Jellyfish, uh, Ayla Rose in Gundam Age, and she is Foop in uh futariwa precure splash star um but again busy being nami <laughs> and presumably <laughs> only needing to voice nami to like get that paycheck and, and make a living um <laughs> classic thing for any actor that's like a big role in one piece is just like oh yeah that's just all they do like they don't need to do it <laughs> and i have a english voice voice actor for shu um voiced by ted lewis who uh voiced king Dedede in kirby right back at you Okay. <laughs> Jack Atlas in Yu-Gi-Oh! Five Ds and oh Bakura or Bakura, Bakura. from Yu-Gi-Oh! Wow. Bakura from Duel Monsters. Yeah, I and didn't... he also uh, wrote 
for Pro- uh, was a scriptwriter for Pokemon Chronicles. Oh wow! I didn't realize uh, Jack and uh, Bakura were the same English voice actor. That's pretty great. Oh he! Oh my God! Looking at his uh, uh, filmography now, uh, that was just from like the summary. He's in One Piece. He's Dalton and Mary. I don't know who either of those people oh, I are. I know who Mary is. Um, but he is in a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh. He is uh, uh, Bakura or Bakura. I don't know why I'm saying it wrong. Uh, Yami Bakura, Bandit 100%. Keith, oh my God, Alistair, <laughs> Croquette, Thief King Bakura, uh, uh, Gozaburo Kaiba. I don't know who that is. Uh, in GX, he's Chumley, Admiral. Howard X. Miller, and Neospatian <laughs> Grand Mole, like the monster. Hell, hell yeah. <laughs> in 5Ds, he's Jack Atlas, Mitch, the young version of Rex Goodwin, and fake Jack Atlas. Uh, <laughs> in Zex, in Zexel, he's, which yeah, makes sense. In Zexel, he is Dempsey Crossit and Cameron Clicks. There's got to be a comparison between Yugi, Yu-Gi-Oh type, uh, names and, uh, oh, and um, Gundam, yeah thing i don't know because i've only ever watched Yu-Gi-Oh dubbed is i don't know if those are the same names in japanese or if they just <laughs> changed true. over for english that's true uh in arc v's jack atlas and then in Yu-Gi-Oh dark sides of the dimensions uh he is uh Bakura as well uh-huh. and the oh, stadium yeah. announcer in pokemon stadium oh my god oh really <laughs> that's like a in pokemon stadium an, one and two yeah that's an extremely memorable like pokemon uh video game voice acting performance um, that's cool. And, and he's Bakura, you know. That's, that's where it goes. That's funny. Okay. Uh, episode two is called A Boy and a Mad King. Uh, Lalaroo is taken to see uh, Abelia, the commanding officer of Hollywood, who sees the pendant missing, but then realizes that Shu might have it. Nabuko, one of the many child soldiers aboard Hollywood, finds Shu at a low-level bridge over a large furnace. They fight, and the pendant unknowingly drops off the bridge. Shu saves Nabuka from falling when a uh, railing nearly collapses. Shu is then arrested and sent to see an aggravated Hamdo, the leader of Hollywood, uh, who is concerned of the pendant's whereabouts. Uh, it is explained that Lalaru has the power to manipulate a source of water that lies within the pendant, which will help reconstruct the battleship as water is a very rare resource in this desolate world. Hamdo orders Abelia to do whatever means necessary, um, including torture, to Shu in order to find uh, the location of the pendant. Um, I did not put this in the, or this was not in the episode description, but uh, (laughs) I'm looking at my first note and um, uh, additional content warning on this episode, I guess, for uh, uh, cat murder, which I, I guess, uh, optimistically first penned as implied cat murder, but then the dude just straight up throws the... (laughs) the carcass straightened to frame and so okay no longer implied um yeah <laughs> which i was like you, you've heard of kick the dog and save the cat well get ready for for kill the cat and then continue to kick the cat um in case you didn't know this guy was bad and it's really interesting because like the the cat throughout shoes like torture or like meeting with hamdo is like keeps getting like kicked and that but then like also shoe is being kicked and it's like wait why are you showing us both i don't know why like if you're gonna do like one as a metaphor for the other why you have both in the frame but whatever go for it's it it's because he's just that fucked up um and my ears were fucked that day because i apparently so i thought abelia's voice actor was misato it's not no and then i thought hondo's voice actor was james from pokemon it's not <laughs> so i was like yeah man i'm getting everything wrong but then i got one right <laughs> And we'll get to that. Which we'll get to which oh. one that one was. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a bombshell. Was it the wait, was it the English voice actor you 
thought it English. Was. Yeah, okay. English. Because I have a Japanese character that I immediately clocked. It's like I know who that is, um, which is another exciting one. But both uh, Abelia and Hamdo were ones that I like the Japanese voice actors. I was like, they, I didn't have like a particular person, but I was like, they sound so familiar. And neither of them are voice actors I'm like super familiar with. Um, but they're they're both really good. Um, Abelia, I'll I'll say it here, I guess, because this is like you know big introduction for her. She's in the last episode. This is really when you get to see more of her. Uh, she to me is like. Oh wow, they just like pulled someone out of a Tomino Gundam show. Like she totally could just be a character in like Zeta Gundam or Double Zeta Gundam or Turn A Gundam. Both like design, but just in terms of like what's going on with her. Um both good and bad, I guess. Yeah. Um but it's like yeah, yeah, she she totally could have been uh, and Hamdo a little bit, I guess, but not not as much as Abelia. Abelia is just like strapped like, "Oh yeah, this is just a Gundam character." Um <laughs> which I appreciated. I love how unabashedly no frills no conception of nuance fucking awful hamdo is mm. like not in like a oh i love his character ha get it queen or whatever no he's a piece of shit and i <laughs> fucking hate him but like i love that they don't try and again this is why i was kind of like pointing back to or discussing how i i drew a lot of thoughts towards like world war ii when i was watching this i was like yeah you don't try to humanize the nazis you, you don't humanize someone who it like you you show them for what they are a horrible piece of shit who deserves nothing but death the entire time you're like fucking kill this guy and it's like yeah i i love how there's no gray room around it they don't try to be like oh he he had a really bad childhood and that's why he's fucked up now or like oh he's he's working towards a better future or whatever like he's doing the hard things to try to you know make sure that hollywood can survive no he's just awful he is a horrible man child yep. show also man child draws a lot yeah show draws a lot of attention to just how fucking pathetic he is yes all yes. the time and like yeah no i respect the show for treating a fascist leader like that doesn't mean i like watching it but i respect <laughs> the show for doing it this is i guess the thing to be to be said about the show is like like i i was watching the show and i was like i'm having a really good time watching the show not in like a Oh, I'm happy at the things that are happening on on scale, but I'm like, this is a very. I found it um, rewarding to engage with, um, but at the same time, watching it, I was like, kind of bracing myself for like, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if either Danny or Danielle did not have as good of a time because like it's a lot of stuff happens that's not enjoyable to watch, and like this episode is the start of it, like from the beginning with the cat murder is like that's just you know it's like all well storyboarded and animated and stuff too, like it's like genuinely. Um, disquieting and like distressing to like like how how many shots of that scene um where the the dead cat takes up like 50 percent of the frame um like it's it's for what they're doing it's well done but it's like it's not like an easy pill to swallow i guess um and I'll, because i'm launching into this i'll say it now i thought a lot about um our time watching and talking about uh penguin drum while watching the show which i assume how I felt watching parts of that show is is probably how you you described yourself, um, Danielle. Watching this is like there were parts of Penguin Drum that I just like made my skin crawl. Not in like a way of like oh some real fucked up shit is happening, but just kind of like a I'm really not like vibing with what the show is interested in depicting. Like whereas like this, it's like yeah, there's some fucked up shit happening, but I'm really interested in diving into like you know what's going on here like it's a show i'm interested in thinking about in a way that like penguin jump like fully pulled me out of that like analytic mode 
and just made me think like i'm not having a good time like you know i don't feel so well mr stark like that was my <laughs> felt thought feeling going through that show and then going through this show is like yeah some fucked up stuff's happening but i'm interested in like why that's happening like the the mechanics of this world the ideology at play here like it, it was a show i enjoyed kind of digging my teeth into um but i can i can totally see why anybody would watch the show and get kind of turned off by the subject matter because it's not like you know it's not fun in that way um well it's not only the subject matter for me it's i in these episodes i didn't see the show say anything interesting about its subject matter at all it's um just very bog standard war bad the fascism's bad <laughs> child soldiers bad i i didn't find anything um interesting enough about the show to um i guess make me want to engage with it on its level because like it very much felt like they were like hey what's the most fucked up thing we can do and then they just do that and it's like yeah of course you do that but when i just yeah it's just it's not interesting enough with how it engages with engages with it i it's ideas for me to um want to see more i guess that's fair i i definitely disagree um <laughs> but uh, i'll, I'll kind of highlight the stuff that i think is uh interesting about um how the show unfolds uh, as we get through it um and for for me i don't necessarily need it to comment on anything like it 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 presents these things as like yeah these are horrible things which like yeah it's not it's not a hot like this is not presenting any hot takes on like war being bad but i i think that i'm so compelled like i latch on to like shoe and being like man this this little boy he's he has to deal with all this fucked up shit i'm rooting for him the whole time kind of thing like that's where i grasp onto it like you know there are some things that we'll talk about later that uh i think that i i I don't I don't even know that I'd call it like hot takes or interesting takes or anything like that that I but I appreciated that they were there. It for me it's just like the the contrast of this horrible fucking world and then these characters who are kind of trying to make their way through it uh and are are not they are not like the the ubermensch who is like oh I'm shrugging off everything I'm I'm not even going to get hurt. It's like no this this uh, episode, I think it's this episode specifically. Maybe it's the next one. Um, has like shoes screaming in pain from the torture that he's like. You see the aftermath of his torture a lot, and you see the aftermath of other people's torture and and rape, and it's it's shown like the fact that it shows the aftermath is something I really appreciate because it doesn't like just go like oh yeah you can you can guess that this is a bad thing. It, it's like no this like I you. This is like important to show the impact of these things to these people, and I don't know. It just really worked for me in in that regard. Um, mixed with a lot of like really on the moment to moment basis, like smart storyboarding decisions. Like we, um, you talked about having the the cat in the frame during the the meeting between Hamdo and Shu. Um, also going on anytime Hamdo starts talking in an extended period, it cuts like every half second to kind of. Mm -hmm reinforce how fucking unhinged this man is um he was talking about how everyone wants to kill him and like all this oh da, 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 like this empire over there is trying to kill me and i'm da, 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 and just cutting all over the place and you just like put in this headspace of like man this fucking this guy's lost it and he's this paranoid child that you know is, is torturing people uh it all it all just worked together for me um you know i, I don't think this is a show that necessarily is or or i don't know that has to 
um, say anything super transgressive or kind of lofty. I think it's just it's 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 I'm happy meeting it in the space that it, that it is in. Not happy again. Anytime I say happy, I mean like <laughs> I'm willing to engage with. I'm not this. This is not a good time. It's like oh yeah, more child torture or anything like that. But like yeah, it it, it fits for me. Well, I think like you know you hinted at one of the things I really appreciate about the show is like Shu being this character that is like still going to be able to like you know pick himself up and like fight back against like you know this horrible world around him like I think the show is very different if you have a much more passive character that's kind of just taking things as they as they come to him but he is like you know at every point like no I'm not going to go along with this and we'll, we'll talk about those moments as they happen because um, uh, you know in this episode he's mostly just getting kind of dragged around and beaten up a lot um more about hamdo i really like the voice actor's performance um the way he kind of shifts um delivery uh in certain situations where hamdo is either more or less put together and the way he can kind of switch between modes like mid-thought or mid-sentence is very good and part of the reason why i was surprised i hadn't really heard about him because it's like oh yeah this this guy's like good at what he does um and not that he doesn't have any like impressive um uh performances to his name I'll, I'll read through some of those later but um was just kind of taken aback by how how good he is and was surprised that he wasn't someone i recognized from more things um i think it's not until later that my notes start getting longer most of my notes in these early episodes are just like damn the music slaps damn <laughs> remember <laughs> remember when 90s animation um, or that i like the scene where he drops he's like trying to figure out which way to go and he just t- puts a stick on the like, yes <laughs> stands a stick up lets it go and he's like ah that way <laughs> it's like hell yeah king you just go yeah it's so good it's just like yeah at the end of the day he is just like you know a 12 year old boy or whatever <laughs> like he just that's that's how you got to make decisions all right i guess i will um <clears throat> get into it i um absolutely hate the contrast with um abelia and hamdo like I know, obviously, um, that Hamdo needs, like, a competent people under him for anything to be functioning at all. And the show very much does make Abelia out to be the competent one that's actually fucking making um, Hollywood run. But um, I guess it's, like, less in this episode, but more in other episodes that we see Abelia is most likely romantically attracted to Hamdo. And <laughs> I I didn't read that at all i i thought i read her actions as like like self-serving where it's like you know i'm in power right now and if i rock the boat who knows what will happen and like i'm just gonna keep doing what this guy does or do what this guy says though i was kind of like there were a lot of points where i was like why hasn't she just like like been like no you're no you're not king anymore and it might be something where it's you know kind of making a an allusion to some part of like like the emperors of japan or something like that where it's like you know hey the the important thing is there's a figurehead and therefore you know you need the figurehead and if you if you kill the figurehead now everything's get thrown in disarray or whatever i don't know uh but i i got big like neoliberal vibes where it's like oh well i mean the guy in charge is a piece of shit but like we're in power so like hey as long as i'm out as long as i'm on top i'm not gonna you know rock the boat kind of thing I mean, I was reading it much more as the fascism needing the figurehead more than yeah, yeah. Any... Oh yeah, the the show is just straight up fascism. If that isn't if that isn't clear, like, and it will become even more clear. Like, Hollywood is 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 just textbook fascism. 
Um, it is, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely something going on there between the two of them, but it feels like it's not been fully explored for me to really put my thumb too much on, on how to read it fully. That's how I'm reading it now, and I'm definitely afraid that that's what's going to happen. And I, due to how the show treats its female characters, I am will not be surprised if it does happen. That's totally fair, but the, the way that I'm contextualizing this is... Um, you know, we'll talk more about another character later, Nabuka, but there's a similar thing going on with Nabuka where it's like the characters that are not Shu or I guess Sarah, um, who are the two characters that are like, you know, brought into this world. Um, a lot of the other characters are defined by like how they rationalize their place within this uh, structure, within the society. And part of my read on Abelia so far is like this is how she's situated herself in this world it's like you know I I have an immense amount of privilege I wield a lot of the actual power on a day-to-day basis I just have to deal uh with Hamdo shit and maybe there's you know something else going on there as well that the show will kind of speak up to but I just think it's she's an interesting character in that like you know this is the way that she's found how to carve out a space in the world for herself because you know we'll We'll learn that the other women in the show are don't have as fortunate of a place um, that she does. And that stands out to me that like, okay, well, what makes her like the one woman in the show that gets to be in a considerable um, position of power? And it's like, you know, how, how much of the, is the, the way she kind of like kowtows and sucks up to Hamdo, just her kind of enacting a role so that she can maintain that place in society? Um and like obviously that's fucked like again it's fascism like n- nobody is in um ideal circumstances in this um and that doesn't make her uh, a good person for just doing you know what she can but um i think it's really interesting to think about those kinds of things and to your point danielle the show could definitely collapse from out with under itself and kind of ruin uh my read on things um very easily but that's kind of how i'm i'm taking it generously i guess um at this point in the show yeah i'm i'm interpreting um Avelia's hostility to Lala Rue as romantic jealousy. I could be completely wrong, but this show has not given has given has not given me a lot of faith with treating its female characters well. And like I get like that's how fascism is. It fucking treats women like shit all the time. But for the show that's critiquing fascism to like treat the women as objects just as how fascism does is disgust me i think that's selling her character a bit short i think she's more than just an object and like i think abelia is not an object but the other two girls are yeah no we'll we'll talk about those um i would i would probably say abelia is probably the the strongest defined of all those but two of those other characters really haven't gotten uh as much of a chance to be defined um and i don't know if i read uh Abelia seeing Lalaru as a romantic rival, but I guess we'll see how that maybe plays out in the second half of the show because that's not really too much of a direct thing that's happened. I definitely view her kind of going off of your de- definition uh, of like she's found her kind of place in the world, like Abelia has, and you know she doesn't want anyone to rock the boat. She, she this is she this is where she is, and you know uh, Hamdo kind of like putting all of his attention towards Lalaru, it's like, wait a minute, no, like, if I'm not useful anymore because Lalaru gives Hamdo everything he needs, like, what, where does that leave me? Um, it's that kind of, like, and that's something that's, I think, is in, I hadn't really thought about it, but, like, this, the, the characters all are kind of just, like, different ways you can react to fascism. You know, Hamdo is, like, 
you know, take World War II as context, I guess. Hamda would be like Hitler, and then, like, Abelia would be like an SS commander who it's like, yeah, that, like, she's in the cause, and, like, she's the main supporter. But the really interesting things are the child soldiers. Like, you have Nabuka, who isn't, like, supportive of the cause necessarily, but, like, he's like, well, you know, it's it's the best I could do. Like, might as well go along with it. You have someone like Tabul, who's just, like, whole hog into the cause, like, Hitler youth kind of shit. Uh, Boo, who's, like, the naive child who doesn't know any better, but, like, they're part of the war because everyone's part of the war. They have to be part of the war. Like, you get all these different kinds of people under this system and it's like how do like how do they contrast to each other and i think that has a lot of you know yeah like that that's something that happens in in real life and and that's why i'm okay with them showing like you know sarah's treatment and everything like yeah it happens in real life like that's something that happens and it's awful and i think the show knows it's awful like the show is shows you the aftermath of it and like how fucking awful like you know her like how she is afterwards it's you know it that's why i like if if you know she gets thrown back into the cell with shu and she's like oh how's your day shu like that'd be completely different like but it's just one of those things that it's like it's hard to watch but given how it's like yeah this is a real thing and it's awful and I, I think it's okay to to show it as dramatic, a part of a dramatic story, because like yeah, that's it's a thing that you should be like, man, this fu- is fucking terrible and disgusting, and I want the people who are perpetrating this to 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 all die, which we'll get to it, but like <laughs> it's you know it worked for me in that in that context, right? We should. Uh, I'll get into it next episode. <laughs> I was gonna say we should move on because we're we're starting to get a little bit ahead and i'm i've been purposely saving some things um so uh another voice actor uh lalaru is voiced by nazuka kaori um she is uh chi in subasa chronicle uh chelsea in Ak- akame ga kill she is aereka in aereka 7 uh sorry if you pronounce that eureka but that's not how you say it unfortunately um she is uh, Kotagawa Yui in To Love Rue. I don't know if that's a character we got to in the two episodes of To Love Rue we watched. Um, I, but I don't. Yeah, she is the uh, like student council or, or person being like, wow, y'all are being too horny in school. Uh, another fascist. Um, <laughs> she's Subaki in Soul Eater. She's Shimizu Kyoko in Haikyuu. Uh, she is Nunnally Lamparogue in Code Geass. She is Miyu in Prisma Ilya. Uh, she is uh, Hakakura Toru in My Hero Academia. Uh, she's also Mount Lady in My Hero Academia. Uh, speaking of One Piece, she is Uta in the new One Piece film, One Piece film Red. Uh, she is Sailor Mass, but specifically only in Mobile Suit Gundam San, which is a like sketch comedy Gundam show. Uh, and she is Liz in Mahotsukai Precure. Um, all right. Uh, and so that brings us... Wait, wait. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Interesting for the, for English VA, uh, okay. uh, which I, I just looked up now because before I kind of wrote her off because I didn't see anything super super interesting. But upon review, there is. Um, so she's she's done some work in Pokemon as Pokemon. <laughs> um, oh hell like yeah! Like Oshawott, Corina, K O R R I N A, Litten, and others. Um, she's Amy in Sonic X. Hell yeah, we love Amy. Um, uh, and like a. Uh, uh, Shu, a number of Yu-Gi-Oh things, which I'm going to save the most <laughs> exciting one for last. Okay. Uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh's Exile 2, she's Lotus 
uh, Hanazoe. In Yu-Gi-Oh! 5D, she is Patty, Claire, and Barbara. In GX, she is Mindy, Linda, Yasmin, Maiden in Love, and Elemental Hero Burstinatrix. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> all real. Uh, and then in Yu-Gi-Oh! She is S- Serenity Wheeler. Oh my Joey god. Wheeler's sister. <laughs> um, so... Uh, and, and she's voiced some like Fire Emblem's characters, uh, uh, which I don't know any of them. Uh, but I, I think you might have forgotten to mention the actual actress's name. What's her name? Uh, Lisa Ortiz. Okay. Oh my God, she's also in Ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lisa. As no. Carol, whoever that is. But yeah. Rat- oh, and she's in uh, <laughs> she's in Revolutionary Girl Utena as Shiori Takatsuki. I don't know because I've not seen that. Somebody. Um, Somebody. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to episode three, which is called A Feast in the Dark. Uh, Shu wakes up and finds a traumatized girl first mistaking her for Lala Rue. She tells him her name is Sarah and that she was also abducted from their world, much like Shu was. Side note, she's specifically from America. I didn't know how to... <laughs> put that into my description but there it is um meanwhile abelia brings lalaru to see hamdo who tries to get her to tell him uh the location of the pendant but lalaru refuses to talk much to hamdo's anger abelia orders shu to be uh hanged from an uh after another failed interrogation uh which by that she actually means like leaving him hanging outside of hellywood like exposed to the elements and deprived of food and water um as an enemy battleship approaches Hollywood, a missile is launched from Hollywood uh, and successfully makes impact, obliterating the enemy. Abelia is given orders from Hamdo uh, that all male soldiers are to scout the tower uh, to find for the missing pendant. Um, that's the episode. So this is where we meet Sarah. Um, I will say, I sh- maybe should have, I, tr- I tried to say this at the top, I took Wikipedia's plot summaries and did some heavy editing because they were good bones but uh some parts were clunky um and maybe purposefully i don't know the wikipedia dis- d- uh, summaries don't mention any of the uh rape that is happening to sarah until episode six where it kind of reaches its apex but i believe it's at the end of this episode that we get the first scene so i'll kind of walk us through that um so her and shu are in like a cell at the start of this episode and towards the end of the episode uh like after shu's been hung up outside um uh, a couple of soldiers, I think it's specifically like child soldiers, like Nabuka might be one of them. Um, I think it's Nabuka and Tabul. Or no, yeah, Nabuka and Tabul, I think. Okay. Um, they, they come get her and kind of lead her to another part of the base. And all we see is, um, you know, like a like an older man kind of open the door to where they're leading her and takes her inside. And then the door slams shut. And I think maybe we get like a scream uh, from her kind of over just like a black screen. Um and I think it's the beginning of next episode that we get like the kind of um, after uh, reaction of her back in the cell and kind of reacting to the thing. But I guess it's, you know, obviously you can put two and two together, but it's not made as explicitly clear uh, as it is by the next episode, kind of what's happening. But to kind of spell it out um, now, instead of when we get to episode six, when it uh, hits its um, kind of peak, what they're doing is they are uh, basically having all of the older men uh, soldiers have um, uh, sex with her with the aim of getting her pregnant um, to, uh, you know, add more 
resources to the war machine, I guess, you know, you could say, uh, but basically to have children so that those children can either grow up to be soldiers or grow up to be other women that presumably can do the same thing as Sarah or do other menial things around the ship. We don't really get a sense of the other women uh, that are presumably aboard. Um, but this is kind of where that starts. Um, I guess kind of, I may be kind of most curious to hear from you, Danielle, because like, we we get more of that in the later episodes, what I just kind of said through, like, but what was your, like, initial reaction to this scene in this episode? Because to me, it felt fairly restrained for what is, like, actually happening. You don't really see a lot, and I appreciated that. But what was kind of your takeaway since you had the kind of most negative reaction to all of this? I will say the depiction itself was not the worst I've seen, but I still hated um, it going as far as it did to depict it. I... This is one of my least favorite fucking things where shows will use sexual assault to raise the stakes. That's fair. I would say it's it's kind of unfair to the show to, or I would put it this way, I would personally not say the show is deploying rape just to strictly raise the stakes. Although, like, that, like that's just storytelling. Like, you know, like, everything is, you know, presumably in service of something else um, going on in the narrative. But, like, again, to me, it's like, it, the, the show is not trying to shy away from just how awful... Um, this kind of world would be. Um, and I don't know if, like, needed is the word I want to use, but, like, you know, it feels kind of necessary to, like, the kind of world they're setting up where... I think I have this in my notes much later. But one of the things that's interesting about this, um, the world building here is, like... Um, They've imagined a society where, um, like, the instruments of war are much more readily available than, like, water and food and plants and things like that. And, like, you know, that's a thing that, like, if you want to cinema sense it, it's like, you know, how could they manage to feed all these soldiers if there's that little water, or yada, yada, yada? Or how, how did Hamdo grow all those roses if there's not enough water for everybody to drink? Um, <laughs> but, like... I think that to me, that's like an interesting thematic thing to think about is like the engine of fascism can operate off of like very little like nutrients, you know, like it, it doesn't take a lot for those seeds to grow. Um, so I guess part of that is this idea that like, oh, everything is in service of the war machine. Um, you know, they go out and we'll get this in other episodes. So sorry for jumping ahead, but we'll, you know, they'll go out and steal children from villages. They will bring women in and forcibly have the men have sex with them to like breed more soldiers. Like, you know, obviously it's a little disgusting to even say that stuff out loud, but like, I appreciate that the show is not going to shy away from it because the version of the show that's like tamped down a bit that it doesn't go that far is less interesting to me because then to me, it does become what you were kind of characterizing it at as uh, Danielle um, as like, yeah, I get it. Like these are bad guys. But like to me, it's much more kind of rich. Again, maybe not the best word I want to use for it, but like you know, rich in its depiction of just how you know awful every part of the engine that makes the society go is, um, and why I root for Shu uh, even even more because it's like yes, Shu uh, Shu needs to get in a Gundam and burn down this whole thing is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> shoot, shoot. I mean, I was thinking to myself, it's like, yeah, if I'm going to watch a show about child soldiers, I'd much rather be watching Gundam. <laughs> I was burning through my fucking head all out. But of I guess, this. as someone that's watched a lot of Gundam, the thing that's exciting to me about the show is like the the violence and um, the fascism that crops up in Gundam is a bit like PG in a way, where it's like it it's more easy to like laugh at or not really take fully seriously. Um, or it's a bit more melodramatic and that works in its regard. Like I'm not trying to 
should talk Gundam shows, but this show is like doing stuff that Gundam shows, like it, this show crosses a line that Gundam shows wouldn't. And I think that's cool because like, if I wanted to watch a show that's on the other side of that line, I could just watch one of those Gundam shows. Um, I mean, I'm not always here for like super realistic depictions of fascism because like I see that shit enough on the fucking news. Oh, that's fair. I'm not, I'm like I said, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying you. Yeah, no, I'm trying to justify yeah. my feelings yeah. on it. And for the record, I think your feelings are 100% valid. Like, this, like, you know, I not even just like a, oh, like, this might not be for someone else. Like, I am totally, if someone comes away from this saying, like, hey, this, like, was needless or, like, this could have been done a lot better. Like, that's totally valid, I think. Um, I really like the way you described the, the melodrama of, of Gundam fashion, fascism, um, and fashion. The, the Sig Zeon scene. Uh, famous from the Andrew WK uh, album, like it is, like that's a real thing that I'm sure happened in like Nazi Germany. But it's like an over the top depiction of like, ah, they're gonna, they're all like, this is the fascist empire now. You can tell because they're going Sig Zeon, Sig Zeon, or whatever. Here, it's a lot more the everyday of fascism, the exploitation of people the reduction of people to the war effort the most that they do like in terms of like ceremony is right before they eat they like say the pledge of allegiance uh to to king hamdo but everything else is just like this is just what living in this life would be like and and you know you, you brought it up and i, I want to kind of highlight it here we see that this is not the only way um we get a lot of talk from Hamdo about how the world is dying, there's no water, da-da-da-da-da, like, I'm, just, I'm the last bastion of hope in this land, or whatever. We see that that's a lie with the villages. The villages are like, hey, if you want our food, we have some we can give to you. You know, you could take some water from us, just leave us alone. But that's not how fascism works. Fascism is this all-consuming engine that you have to constantly stoke, you know, like you said, it can it can work on literal little nutrients, but that's because all the nutrients go to the top. That's why King Hamdo can have all these beautiful roses because he's living in the lap of luxury while everyone else is, you know, the the prize for most kills in battle is a special bottle of water or whatever. Like it, it's it's not the only way that this life could be lived, but because of the avarice of of one man and his system of governance like that's obviously not just one man like obviously you have to have the whole system in place whatever but like that's like the show really like highlights that when they have the village scene of like hey they're just living in their little village you can you could Hollywood does not have to be Hollywood. the people who live in Hollywood could be in their villages but that's not how fascism works and i i really like that inclusion i like um how clear it is from the jump that people are being lied to on a large scale you know like in one of these episodes one of these first two or three episodes we get you know hamdo being like you're talking about it again it's it's so you know textbook fascism like you know oh these outside evaders want to destroy our way of life or whatever and it's like you know in this episode we get the like attack at the end of the episode but like we never see the enemy up close like we don't really know like who they're actually fighting or, or, you know, what's, what's going on on the other side of that conflict. Um, and then also the fact that like, um, I guess we get a little bit more of him in this episode. Um, but like the thing that's going on with Nabuka who like, he truly believes that like, if they quote unquote, win this war effort, like he can go back to his village, not knowing that he almost definitely doesn't have a village to go back to. Um, 
and like they were that that becomes a reveal in a later episode but you just know like because of like how everything else in this world operates that like these are lies these characters are either being told or telling to themselves uh, and i find that very compelling um to loop back around to uh sarah before we go off um the one part of the depiction of that that really set me off is the uh, flower imagery used there <sighs> I just um, hate what that is implying about, like, how Sarah is affected by this and, like, how she's ruined or whatever. That's very much what that imagery is telling me, and I fucking hate that. (laughs) Do you want to walk us through that a bit more? Like, how that works visually? So, um, it cuts away from the door closing on Sarah being enclosed with her um, rapist. Um, We zoom out outside somewhere i forget and we see a flower roll across the screen and kind of like uh disintegrate a bit right i'm looking at it now uh this did not stand out to me at the time but i do agree i don't i don't much care for that either um could could have done without it yeah um yeah i just the pan out would have been fine i don't like the flower and what that implies about um virginity and women who are the victims of sexual assault (laughs) don't like any of that at all yeah i hate um everything about how this show um depicts sarah like even just beyond the fact that they need her to establish the um the fact that how women are treated in this world that flower imagery really makes me feel like the show itself is treating sarah like an object this in kind of a similar way to how the characters within the show are treating her i don't know if i fully agree with that but i i also don't like the I don't think the flower imagery is, is very good, but I, I think she gets to be a bit more of a character, especially uh, in later episodes. Um, I think kind of the way these episodes seem to operate is like Shu gets kind of the most of the screen presence. And so like other characters have things developing, but not as quickly as things are developing around Shu. Um, so it kind of takes you a couple episodes for Sarah to really like get to do something more. Um, so I could see why that, that would be frustrating, but um, my read on her characters is not as negative, but we'll we'll get to that in a later episode. One thing I, I really love in this episode, um, it kind of loops back to all of the kids, is uh, in that battle scene, and, you know, I think at the very end of this, we do we do see uh, Sarah, like, like Shu gets, after he gets, like, cut down from the hanging thing, he gets thrown back in the cell, and, like, Sarah's, like, catatonic in, in the back. Um, and Shu just, like, his face is all fucked up. It's all, like, bloated and, and everything. Um, but, like, the kids in the trenches fighting the battle are, even, like, the the really, like, boisterous ones, like, not, or uh, Tabul, all of them look fucking terrified. Like, none of them are, like, we're gonna, we're gonna win this or whatever. They're all just, like, holy shit, this is fucking awful. And then you know, Hamda orders the, 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 the big fucking N2 mine equivalent, like, missile, which I love that shot, like, the, mm-hmm. the destruction is, is so powerful, um, which is implied to be like, hey, if you do that, like, people are, like, people on our side are gonna die as well, and Hamda's like, do it, fuck it, send a message or whatever, um, but then, like, the, the kids are walking back to the camp, or to the, wherever, the, you know, the barracks, whatever, and they're like shaking. They're you know they are not okay. They are not like yeah we did it like we won or whatever. They're like oh my like they're fucked up because you know obviously like I mean no one's really designed to go through that, but especially not children. Um, and you know from that and like the 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 child soldier training that we see like all of that kind of really works to be like 
this sucks. Like, this is a horrible place. I hate this place kind of thing. Um, and, and really puts you in context of the emotional space that the kids are going to be in. You know, whether it's Shu rejecting everything and being like, fuck you, I'm going to be a pacifist. Or, you know, Nabuka being like, don't rock the boat. We all get to go home one day or whatever. Like, it really kind of settles in. Like, at, in the heat of the moment, they're still just kids. And they're not built for this. But Hamdo's a piece of shit. Yeah. I like that it's called the Ultra Micro Photon Missile. It's just a great fucking nonsense name. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the storyboarding um, uh, and editing is, is incredible in the like ending sequence uh, where they, they blow up the enemy. Um, I have four screenshots of my notes that are literally just like four consecutive shots, just consecutive images. You get like a great kind of silhouetted shot of the top of Hollywood with like kind of the missile um, uh, barrel um, outstretched with the moon behind it. Uh, and then a cut to uh, like a profile shot of uh, Abelia as she's like giving the order to fire. And then a shot of like, um, whoever's kind of actually manning the missile getting ready to fire. And it's this great, it reminded me of um, Big O in terms of the coloring, but it's like this great, like everything is is stark black, except for like the um, like soldiers, like arms and stuff, which are all like bright orange. Um, yeah. Cause he's like in like a tube or something as he's firing this missile. And then a cut to uh, shoe on the outside, kind of looking onto the horizon as like the things about to get struck by the missile. Um, and it's just like, wow, like you, like, you know, you communicated a thing without needing to like put a whole lot of animation into it. Um, and this is kind of when my thoughts are like, like this show has some impressive, like a individual animation, but it really is just like an economy of like visual storytelling in terms of like, oh, like none of those shots were like hard to do in terms of like, you know, raw animation. Um, but it works just as well as if you were like, we're going to animate the hell out of this thing. Um, so I, I like that enough to literally just put those screenshots into my notes. Um, and again, uh, I will read my note uh, for this episode. Fuck, the music is so good. <laughs> um, it, it really is. All right. Well, uh, here's another voice actor. Sarah uh, is voiced by Nakao Azusa. Uh, not a lot of credits for her. She is uh, Zazan in Hunter x Hunter. Um, uh, she voiced several um, small characters and other uh, anime from the same director. Um, and then she voiced like several different minor characters in um, uh, Anpin Men, uh, speaking of long-running Japanese anime. Um, but otherwise, she th doesn't seem like she had like much of a long voice acting career um anything interesting about sarah's english voice actor yeah i i had not uh, checked it before but looking at it now um she's in the four kids dub of one piece okay <laughs> as as kobe I, I guess from like the first episode mm -hmm. uh alvida which is she also in the first is, she, is that the the pirate queen lady um yes yeah okay uh interesting that she does both of those and then Miss Groundhog Day, I don't know who that is. Oh, uh, but the thing that jumps to my head uh, is her Pokemon credits. Um, she is Max in Season 9 of Pokemon. I don't know who that is. Uh, Cyndaquil, Totodile, Tylo, Tylo, Marshomp, Corsola, Lotad, Azuril, Meryl, Eevee, Swinub, <laughs> Wobbuffet. Uh, the boy. Which, yeah. I love Wobbuffet. Um, Ak Aksu, Mime Jr., and Mr. Mime. Uh and then is Topaz in Sonic X? I don't know who Topaz is. Um, you might know and, uh, Topaz if you if you saw him. Yeah, 
Um, and uh, not too terribly much else. Uh, you know, she re- retired in uh, uh, 2017, uh, apparently. Uh, yeah, she voiced she she voiced Jesse's Waba Fett for 16 years, which is fucking wild. Hell yeah, <laughs> good for especially her. when like, you only yeah. just go Waba Fett. <laughs> Uh, that Waba Fett was replaced by Erica Schroeder, uh, who is my Valentine in the oh, four, yeah. uh, in the in Yu-Gi-Oh. Sure. And Luffy in the One Piece in the in the four in kids the four dub kids of One, one Piece. piece uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's a much yeah. more impressive uh, voice actor than uh, the Japanese one. <laughs> um, all right. Episode four is called Discord. Ha ha ha! Insert whatever hey. joke you want to. Um. Nabaka requests Boo, one of the youngest soldiers in his group, uh, to keep an eye on Shu, who will be forcefully enlisted as soon as he recovers. A frustrated Abelius spends uh, the pendant search for the remainder of the day. It was found uh, neither in the engine room nor the prison cells. It is revealed that all the soldiers were kidnapped from their hometowns and sent to Hollywood to become soldiers. Nabaka believes that the only way they'll be released is when the war has ended, hence his urgency to help find the pendant. Tabul, another of the child soldiers in Nabuka's group, grows impatient and along with several other kids, beat up Shu to try and get him to reveal the location of the pendant. Tabul and the others are caught by Nabuka and are to be given lashes as punishment. Their commanding officer orders Shu to deliver the lashes, but Shu refuses. Nabuka later advises Shu not to run away, lest he be killed by his fellow crew members. Um... So yeah, I love Shu. Uh, they're like, "We're go- you're gonna join the army." He's like, "Well, I'm not gonna kill anybody. I'm not gonna do anything." <laughs> and then the end of the episode is uh, the you know CEO being like, "Okay, you got to give these lashes out. You're the one that has to deal the punishment because they wronged you." And he's like, "No, I'm not gonna do that. Actually, uh, I won't give in to fascism." Um, and that's why he rules. Uh, QED. Um, <laughs> that's my argument. Yeah. I- yeah, I don't. I don't actually have much for this episode uh, in my notes because, like, not a ton goes on. It's mostly kind of like things we've already touched on already, and then also like, like the most thing, most thing that happens is the uh, uh, the whole lashing and like we're gonna beat the shit out of uh, Shu, which I got a kick out of because it's like Shu has withstood like days of of torture, like flogging and all this other shit, and Tabul's like, we're gonna get it out of him. We got this. He's he, it's like the pickle jar. We they loosen the cap. We're gonna we're gonna figure this out. Um, but and we got some we got some again we kind of touch on this like humanization or at least contextualization of like Nabaka and Boo. It's like yeah they're doing horrible shit, but they're doing it because they think that they're gonna get out of there and they don't want everyone to die and like they're kids. So like uh it's kid, like but like then contrast with Shu how Shu is like no. It doesn't have to be like this, which we get a lot more later. Um, uh, it, it kind of like, oh, for sure. And I I liked the scene where um, uh, Sarah is, is in the cell and a guard sees that uh, she has like a handkerchief and like the handkerchief was on the floor or something like that. And the guard like picks it up and tries to give it to her. And it's it it's... God, for a moment, you're like, oh, no, they're trying to humanize the guard or whatever. He feels bad, too. But they show, like, you know, Sarah's ter- reaction of terror and not, like, being like, oh, you're you're one of the good ones. Uh, to me, Red, like, it's 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 a rebuttal. It's it's you can't humanize this guy. Him giving her a handkerchief 
is not going to undo the horrible fucked up shit that he's part of and that he's inflicted onto her. It's like, I like that. I like that kind of... Try as you might, you're still a fascist scum. Giving someone a handkerchief is not going to fix that, and you can't fix what you've done. I really like that that inclusion. I agree, and it's it's also like, even if you wanted to be generous and read it... um, I feel like the show is aware of this. Like, even if you wanted to be like, oh, well, you know, he's he's trying to be kind. He's offering her her handkerchief back or whatever. Um, he's the next guy that she gets, like, sent to, like, that night. So it's, like, it's reinforcing what you're saying. Like, no, he's just a part of the, like, you know, uh, systemic violence that's, like, you know, chewing her up, right? Like, there is no redemption for him. Like, he wasn't just this nice guy that was going to, like, they're all complicit. Um so it's like, I agree, like, even from the one scene of him handing the handkerchief, you can fully get that read, but it's almost like the show then kind of gives you, like, a, well, if you thought otherwise, like, here you go, bucko, like, you know, it's all fucked. Yeah, and he tries to be like, my name's whatever, what's your name? And it's like, because the first guy just grabs her and, like, does, doesn't say anything, and then, like, this guy's like, oh, I'm gonna be your, like, your friend through, like, yeah. whatever. It's like, no. And it's almost no, worse. He's, he's worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um. I feel like you, you could maybe uh, feel the opposite way, but me personally, I appreciate that um, in these two episodes, we don't see much of what happens when she's in the room with uh, these men, but we do see kind of her uh, having to kind of live in the aftermath of that. And I can understand that like that could be hard to watch for people. And like, that's, you know, again, the show's kind of nasty in that way where it's like, you know, like, hey, if you don't want to, you know, <laughs> have to sit through these things, it, it's not a, a, a fun time in that regard. But I, appre- I appreciate that, like, the way that the the horror of the situation is communicated is is how she has to kind of, um, you know, exist after those moments and not, like, reveling in the moment itself. I think there's a different... Again, I thought a lot about Penguin Drum watching this. <laughs> and that's a show that, like, there is uh, rape depicted and it you see it happen in the moment. It's not like a, oh, oh they're just going to like, you know, cut away from it and then cut back to the character reaction. It's like, no, you get to see a lot more of that stuff in Penguin Drum. And Penguin Drum for me was a show that that stuff felt way less justified um, in its depiction than what's depicted in this show. Where it's like, this show is going for a thing where showing that like adds to um, the story they're trying to tell, whereas I, none of that felt necessary to Penguin Drum. And so for me, Penguin Drum, it, watching that was like, this is gross. I don't want to see this. And this isn't like interesting to engage with, whereas the show's kind of on the opposite side of that. Admittedly, like thin line to me, you know, like people are going to feel the same way I feel about this show, about Penguin Drum and, and vice versa. But like, that was my big... Yeah, I'm vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> that was my big takeaway is like, I really hated this kind of stuff in Penguin Drum and it was way more explicit. And in this, it's like a lot more like implied um and i appreciated what it added to the story in a way that i didn't appreciate what added to penguin drum well i I would argue that in penguin drum some of the scenes you know we talk about rape as drama here they have some scenes that are like rape as comedy in that show like the whole like oh we we gave the the teacher uh, a love potion and now he's acting up all he's like a zombie it's it's not handled with any sort of drama at all. It's like almost like it's a fucking gag, uh, and then the the penguins look at porno magazines at the same time or something like that. Like Penguin Drum is way more off putting to me than because yeah. it doesn't seem to recognize what it's doing is fucked up. Um, whereas this, it's like no, it gets it. Yeah, that's also like I I I want to go so far as to say that Penguin Drum doesn't understand that like the rape it's depicting is bad. Though maybe it depends on which specific scene you're talking about. I'll, I'll give you that, but um. 
there, there's a lot of it. <laughs> there's a lot of it, and you're you're definitely right that uh, I guess what I failed to articulate too is like the the tone in Penguin Drum is part of the problem. Whereas I feel like the tone is much more like consistent and like you know isn't isn't as muddy. Like I I wouldn't say Penguin Drum's like embarrassed to be depicting it, but it's almost like the the wild tone changes in those scenes. Oh, scenes is kind of like a we're not fully committed to the bit even though we are like going to show you a lot of it kind of thing i don't know well not to relitigate penguin drum criticism but i couldn't help but think of having a really bad time watching certain episodes of penguin drum and mostly having an enjoyable time uh again enjoyable in terms of i found this show to be interesting and engaging um in comparison <laughs> see the show that kept popping up in my brain as a comparison point to this was um Made in the abyss. <laughs> oh, well, I've not seen it, so I can't uh, can't speculate. There's less piss in this. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, they're both very. Um, both the shows have a lot of um, showing you the characters being tortured. Um, they are wildly different vibes. This one is going for a um, realism means everything is terrible and. Um, made in the abyss is fetishized violence for the most part. Right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> made, made in the abyss is like the writer's thinly veiled fetish, where it's like, oh, every five pages we're gonna have a ten year old piss themselves, and you're gonna watch it. Oh uh, yeah. Like it's like horny about it. It's weird. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like made in the abyss. Uh, I think it's completely different. Like you say, completely different tone. Yeah. But believe. So anyway, I my do next like pick. Made in the abyss better than this. Um, oh my god. Yeah, what? <laughs> my big thing about. About this show is that it really um, is one of those things where, to me, it's trying to push realism as everything miserable all the time, and that's uh, a mode that several pieces of the fiction work in that I cannot stand personally. It's I want to keep reiterating. I think the show is well made for what it is, and the for the most part, the show is getting across its message that it wants to tell. I just am not here for it. As negative, I am I as I am being, because I am being very negative about the show. If this sounds like it appeals to you, you'll probably get something similar out of it to Austin and Danny. <laughs> I think I would I would maybe feel... The, I, I think I mentioned this before, but the, the thing that really like anchors me to the whole thing is Shu as a character. The fact that there is one character that is like, I'm not going to like give up in the face of all of this. I'm going to keep my attitude about the world again to go back to what he says in the first episode like you know i'll have to just win tomorrow and if not tomorrow then the day after i'll win someday like the fact that he's able to carry that attitude through all of these episodes really sells me on the necessity of like crafting this world to be extremely cruel because like um there's still room to imagine that um you can you can win out with from over it right it's i, I don't think it's We'll we'll see how some of this shakes out in the second half of the show, but I don't think it's meant to be like a show that's like reality is just piss and vinegar and that's just the way it is. Like I don't think it's like a you you just have to accept that this is life. I think it's you know saying that like no matter how grave the circumstances are, it's always worth like fighting back against. Um, I I won't put too fine of a point on that because like we have to see how the final six episodes go. But that's that's how Shu's point in the story functions to me. And like, that's why I love him as a character. Cause it's like, you know, what if you took like the headstrong always believes in, in what he thinks is right kind of character. That's like a very kind of archetypical, like shown in manga kind of character and put him in a really nasty setting and then say, and he's not going to like waver um, from his kind of 
starting point um and i find that really compelling he reminds me uh, i was gonna say this for i think this is in my notes in a later episode but and he reminds me of two gundam characters i really like he reminds me of um Judao uh from zz gundam and he reminds me especially of loran from uh turn a gundam which are similar kind of characters of like you know like the world around me sucks um but that like i have the power to like you know enact change in the world and i'm gonna you know do what i can kind of thing he really is just like someone needs to write a gundam show with shu in it because it's like you know so many other gundam <laughs> shows could just like i think i have this in my notes as well it's like so many gundam shows could just be fixed by having shu as the protagonist instead of like whoever's the actual protagonist um uh, just need yeah, a, if, a, if a good nabaka if nabaka were the protagonist of this it would not work at all Yes. immediately fall apart <laughs> yeah to me that's the you know you're saying Dave, the big thing in this episode's like the ending with the lashing and uh, that's definitely a big part of it to me the the part i really liked about this episode specifically episode four is um this is when we learn about nabaka and his whole thing of like he's not as bought in as someone as like tabool where tabool's clearly like the you know uh i think you said it danny like the the hitler youth kind of character where like he just doesn't really question orders um uh or, or why they're doing the things they're doing too much um but uh, not because like, uh, well, I, I have to tell myself that it's all right for me to do these kinds of things because at the end of the day, I get to go home, uh, even though that's like almost definitely not going to happen. And it's interesting that we've got Boo, who's like a much younger character, and Nabuka's kind of doing his best to him impart his like ideology onto Boo of like, you know, you know, Boo, you got to follow orders. You got to, you know, like shoot, shoot if you have to kind of stuff. And like Boo is like, young enough to still question that and be like this this doesn't seem right and so it's you know he's kind of like an interesting character in his own right because he's kind of caught between Napaka and Chu's versions of of looking at and thinking about the world um and yeah we kind of see where that goes in a later episode uh, which is all interesting stuff all right uh well here's here's the voice actor i've been waiting to say uh Napaka is voiced by ima yuka who is Renamon in Digimon Tamers. And I immediately oh was like, God. I'm like, uh, you know, turning to my date in Chappie, that's Chappie, but <laughs> that's Renamon. Because <laughs> um, she's got such a distinctive voice, um, and I love Renamon. Uh, but she is also uh, Uatani Arsa in the 2001 Fruits Basket. She's Jinto Lin in Crest of the Stars. She is Shirahara Wakaba in Revolutionary Girl Utena. She is uh, Hayakawa Yu in Final Fantasy Unlimited, and uh, I in Doki Doki Precure and Kataka Rekuta in Duel Masters. Um, it, th it seems like she kind of stopped voice acting uh, kind of mid-2000s, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so not a ton of stuff for her, but she is uh, Renamon, and God bless her for that. Oh, I, I am so glad that you were excited for this character, because I'm excited for this character in English. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you'll get the name alone. Uh, voiced by Dan Green. Oh, is that Yugi? That is Yugi, Mewtwo, <laughs> Entei, uh, Yami Yugi, Knuckles in, in Sonic <laughs> X. Uh, who else is he? Uh, uh, Johnny in One Piece, uh, Professor Birch, Trico, oh Lombre, God. Spiritomb. Uh, the narrator in the four kids version of One Piece. Uh, so I, I heard the voice. And I was like, is that? Oh, my God. And it absolutely was. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Green, I, I know by name is like, that's Yugi Moto. Uh, that's very funny. Uh, that Which I, I never realized, like, like growing up, I didn't realize that uh, uh, Yami Yugi and Yugi Yugi were voiced by the same person. I don't oh, know yeah. why I always assumed that it was like two different people. 
That's just him like going real high for Yugi and then going real low <laughs> for Yuki Moto or for for Yami Yugi. Um, he sounds closer to Yami Yugi uh, throughout this. Mm, okay. Which again, very funny in the context of these being like ten year olds. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, there's a grown ass man's voice. Yeah, Ima Ima Yuka definitely sounds exactly like she sounds as Renamon, uh, but that's that's fitting because Renamon also has this kind of like boyish uh, voice. Um, it's good. Um, okay, uh, that brings us to episode five, which is called uh, Murder. <laughs> um, I like a good simple episode title like that. Uh, Shu and Nabuka enter into a mock battle. Shu's wooden stick versus Nabuka's knife. Nabuka is the more skilled fighter, but Shu's blind ambition catches Nabuka off guard, and the match is a draw. Later that evening, two unknown assailants uh, invade the battleship and try to assassinate Hamdo. Though Hamdo is able to shoot down one of the assailants, uh, the other one escapes. The soldiers are all ordered to help search the ship for the missing assassin. When Nabuka's group goes searching, they come across the assailant who uses Boo as a hostage to prevent Nabuka from shooting him. Shu attacks the assassin with his wooden stick, allowing Boo to break free by stabbing his captor's hand. Nabuka shoots the hand, uh, sh shoots the man in the chest. Shu tries to save the stranger. However, Nabuka fires a bullet at the assailant's head, killing him. As Hamdo comes to the realization that they are in uh, need of more troops, a group of soldiers, including Nabuka's group, order to travel through a standstorm uh, to recruit more children from a nearby village. Uh, that's when the episode ends. Just the worst fucking assassins. Yeah, I was like so so ready. It was like fucking do it. <laughs> Um, but uh, they they couldn't get the job done. They, they walk in. They they kill the guard out front, perfectly fine. They walk in. Hamdo's just fucking standing there, and it's not even like they do like a soliloquy. They just like stand there and wait for him to duck under the table and shoot them both with his uh, ivory gun or whatever the fuck. Uh, it's just the worst worst assassins. Um, I have. I think it so. I'm looking through my notes and you know, f first four episodes I've got like pretty sporadic notes. And then it's like, I think it's by this point that a lot of like thematic stuff started to click into place for me where I, I have more to say about it in my notes. And one of the things that kind of dawned on me in this episode is um, how I like the function of the child soldiers in this because, um, and you kind of get this in the scene where um, the enemy ship is kind of in proximity and you know, eventually they just shoot it with a big fuck off cannon but they do like send troops after it and as you're saying danny like you get the sense of, like oh these are just kids and they're not really like prepared for any of this um well what becomes kind of clear to me is like it it doesn't really matter like the um and especially in the scene at the beginning of this one where they're doing like this fake mock battle between shu it, where it's like hand-to-hand -hand combat you know she was using his wooden stick because he refuses to use like actual weapons but like presumably if he were like going along with it they would just be you know two dudes with knives um which is not like a it, in this kind of world um, doesn't seem like a situation that has any practical reason to train for. Um, and so it kind of dawned on me that's like, oh, this is interesting because clearly they're not interested in like training these kids for any reasonable situations. Like they just need the raw human bodies to throw at the enemy. And then if the kids live long enough to be like adult soldiers, then they can learn how to, you know, pilot the snake machines or fire the big fuck off missile gun or whatever um but it just became so clear to me it's like and again textbook fascism but it's like th these children are not being um going going through these like training drills and stuff like that necessarily to learn how to fight they're learning how to become like good ideological soldiers like it's all like reinforcement of like their part in the system and not like how to actually do anything when they're 
out on the battlefield. And I thought that was, I think it's interesting that like the show gets there without having to like spell it out for you. Like, it, you know, it comes out in the, uh, the plotting. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, the mock fight between Shu and Nabuka, like it ends with, uh, <laughs> honestly, a really funny shot where he, where, uh, Shu headbutts, uh, Nabuka and it's like a Jackie Chan shot where like, both of them end up hurt. Yeah. And the um the drill sergeant, whatever, is like, Oh, that like moves like that have no place in the battlefield and it's like earlier he said that like there's no rules in the battlefield, you, you do whatever you can to kill your enemy or whatever, and now he's contradicting that because fascism does that. Um and again, I think he's trying to, you know, beat the pacifism out of out of Shu because, you know his answer is to kill. It's not to headbutt someone. Um and again, I just love that kind of, I'm not like, friendship is my power, I'm going to get through this in a world that's completely incompatible with that ideology, uh, but, you know, still doing it anyway, um, up to the end where uh, um, Nabuka kills the, or shoots the assassin in the chest, and Shu immediately is like, oh my god, like, no, this, like, he, he starts putting pressure on the wound. And I was like, oh yeah, this is like the first person that Shu has had to see die like in front of him. And then when it cuts to Nabuka, like he's like his, you know, he shoots him in the head to finish him off. And Nabuka's like hand is shaking and his voice is really quivering. And he's like, I, I had to do it. Like, that's what I, it's what I was told to do. I had to do it. And you could tell that this is the first person that he has like directly killed, or at least the first person he's seen die in front of him uh, by his hand. And again... They're just kids. They're not ready for this, you know, as in so much as anyone can be quote unquote ready to, to take someone else's life. Um, but it's just like such a great little like, you know, you have two paths, you have two wolves inside of you. One of them <laughs> is Shu and one of them is Nabuka. Uh, they're both gay. And like, it's, it just, it just works so well, uh, you know, that kind of like, and, and Shu is like desperate to save this assassin's life, even though they, he was ordered to be killed immediately. And, and, the something that is said we haven't brought it up yet but something that shu says multiple times throughout the series is where the hell am i and every time he asks it it is a different meaning and a different answer you know he never gets an answer but like it at the beginning uh the first episode he's dangling from the the trash shoot or whatever and he says where the hell am i because he doesn't literally doesn't know where he is and here there's another time he says it i don't remember but here he like faced with this kind of i have to kill someone because that's what i'm told he's like where the hell like where the hell am i like what is this kind of place like this is this place is hell kind of thing and i love that kind of phrasing more to the you know indoctrination of ideology stuff um we see it in the last episode i think but it's it's back in this episode um i love that their cafeteria is uh like extremely like prison cafeteria you know just like not subtle at all but just like you know again like that's that's what they're here for like they're not like behind bars and they're not being restrained but like you know uh what is an army if not a ideological prison um so i thought that was a nice detail i also back back to you know the scene you were talking about at the end when nabuka shoots the assassin um Again, the visual economy in the show is so strong that, um, you know, we get these, like, freeze frame almost on Nabuka's reaction shot after shooting the assassin, and then Shu, who's, like, got some of the assassin's blood on him, kind of looking at Nabuka after all of it, just in shock. And, it, again, it's just, like, great. It, like, holds the scene. It Like, the, the tone works really well, and, you know, it's, like, you know, 
again in terms of visual economy it's like a very cheap thing to do like you don't have to animate a whole lot you can just kind of hold on it let the music which is great do a lot of the work um so just extremely impressed by how strong the uh production decisions are um throughout the show uh, but especially at the end here um let's see that's all i have for this episode yeah one thing we haven't uh brought up in any other episodes is how do we feel about the opening and ending of the show this is actually i do have a noting this one that um uh i i really grew to like the o- op music um because it's not really like a you know, it's not like an annie song it's it's more just like a theme kind of tune um but um uh i i dig the opening music and then the the ed uh because of the way <laughs> um the uh like uh release that we're watching for this is is stored the the ed is like a separate file so i've only watched it once um and i thought it's it's like fine uh for for what i remember of it but i quite like the op i think the op is good interesting the the ed actually worked for me uh when i used it when i when i watched the when i watched the episode i could see the oh. ed what uh what playback like what did you use for playback uh M- mpc MP- i think oh mpc or is it mpv uh, uh it'll probably work on mpc hc if that's what you're using it it does. I, that's okay. what I was using. I use MP. This there were is, a few episodes where it fucked up, but okay. This is a uh, way too you know inside baseball. But I I use MPV for everything, and MPV does not support linked MKVs, uh, which is what they used uh, for this release. It would support it if it was. Um, oh god, there's another way you could do it. Um, forget the name of it. I can probably just look back in our our chat because I was like, hey, FYI. Um, but. Um, Either way, I didn't get to listen to the, the ED very much, but um, yeah, that's fine. The, but I I like that the OP is literally just like ca- there's no like big animation; it's just like a cast listing. And uh, but I really like at the beginning, very beginning of every episode, the little thing it says. Oh where yeah, it's like ten ten billion years is is like such an ephemeral moment that Here. it's almost bittersweet or whatever. I've got it. Um, because ten billion years time is so fragile, so ephemeral. It arouses such a bittersweet, almost heartbreaking fondness, um, which is interesting. Which it's uh, very relevant, uh, and I, I like that they put it up at the front. Um, and we'll get into why it's relevant in the next six episodes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was assuming that, but uh, I guess we can hold that for next time. Um, yeah, no, I also really like that the the OP is just over, like basically like a, a cast <laughs> list where it'll be like a kind of literally like styled as like a photograph and like a scrapbook of like, this is this character. This is what they look like. And this is their first name, um, which admittedly like just helpful to like immediately from like for, after like two episodes, you just know every character's name. Like, it's not like a, Oh, what's, what's the little one's name again? It's like, you just go, Oh no, that's boo. Cause I've read his name in the credits like every time. Um, I love some of the photos that are used. Like Sarah's photo is like her in like a schoolgirl outfit. Like not like a schoolgirl, but it looks like she's going to school yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, oh yeah. I wonder if that's. I don't know if it's going to be in the in the thing or not, or if that's just like, oh yeah, she's that was her in America. She's a girl before hell yeah. I kind of wish that there was like a language barrier between them. I think that'd be an interesting touch. Like not like I don't think like they should change it, but like for them to be like, oh, she's an American and like she doesn't know Japanese. Yeah. One, it is just like from the jump, just like yeah, these people can all talk to each other. Like if you if you think about it too hard, it doesn't make sense, but it's fine. They can all speak the same language. Don't worry about it. Um, I think I either appreciate where stories just like do that, or um, stories really go all the way in to like no, these characters don't understand each other, and that's the point. Um, so I appreciate that there's not even like a you know 
oh, your language sounds a little bit weird, but it's basically like the like you know like no one's trying to lampshade it. It's just it is what it is. Well, and they they sort of do it not with language but with like custom, where you know Shu is basically told you're a soldier now, good luck. And so like the number of times he's like, what the fuck are you talking like you know like why do we have to do oh because we have to like you know and you know he kind of gets disciplined throughout because he's not like immediately hip to the cause you know so to speak yeah. the only other note I, I think i have on this one which uh I, I said this piece before but um reading my note and thinking about it in the context of this episode like at the end when they're like hamda's like we need more soldiers you gotta go out to get more soldiers um this is where i thought about how it's interesting that like water is such a rare commodity but whenever they need new soldiers it's literally like they can grow go out and pick crops to get them you know there's not like a worry of like oh will there even be any villages left for us to steal children from it's just like yeah no we're just gonna go out and get more children like we always do um just again think that's like an interesting thing to consider when like part of the defining feature of this this world is that water is a uh scarcity well and when they're like oh you're a soldier now he's like in bed and they give he gives him like a food tray with like a, a water glass that has like a little like tiny amount of water in it and he's like is that all and it's like well it's all you get you should be lucky feel lucky that you even got that much kind of thing yeah um all right uh, another voice actor abelia is voiced by yasuhara reiko um she plays uh suki kage ron in uh Kaze Makase Suke Kaze Ran, uh, which is another show from the same director. Um, and she's done a few other small roles, but really not a lot of credits, which is why I was surprised. It was like, she sounds familiar. Like, I was part of because her character gave me, uh, you know, Tomino Gundam vibes, but I was like half expecting her to be something I knew from a, a Gundam show, but nope, not really a lot. Similar, similar results for the. Uh... English VA um, didn't he, doesn't have a Wikipedia article for her. Um, Dana or Donna, whatever. Uh, Halstead. She has six roles. Okay. Um, in Genshiken, Genshiken as Kitagawa. Don't know what that is. In the world of Narui as Kazuto's sister. Don't know what that is. In Shaman King, which I have heard of. She's Sally. Don't know who that is. Uh, in the Legend of Himiko is Kira. Don't don't know who that is. Uh, obviously, she's a, she's a Billy in this show, and then in Gem B E M Hunter Lime, she is Mister C Ringe, like cringe, like C period R I space R I N G. Oh my it god! Looks like a vacuum. <laughs> Mister C space Ringe. That's that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> that's that's fucking <laughs> Jim Carrey is topsy cretz in the number twenty three yeah. level of I gotta respect it. That's great. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, brings us to episode six, which is called Disappearance in a Sandstorm. Uh, Sarah is sent is once again sent to a soldier's room to have sex with him. The soldier makes it clear that um, she is being offered to the men aboard Heliboard with the goal of getting her pregnant, uh, presumably to increase the population of usable soldiers. This time, she refuses to give it in and beats the man to death as he struggles to force himself on her. She flees from Hollywood that night, cuts her hair off, and runs deep into the desert. Tabul believes that um, Shu does not deserve to drink water because of his nonviolent views and drinks the rest of Shu's water ration. Nabaka offers up the last of his own ration to Shu, claiming he doesn't want Shu to slow them down if he's dehydrated. Uh, the Hollywood army begins to attack the village, recruiting women and children by force and killing the village's men who oppose. Shu, who can't stand what's happening, attempted to release, attempts to release all the captives, uh, going against the order. 
Nabaka shoots Shu in the leg to subdue him from interfering. On the way back to the fortress, Nabaka thinks back on when he was captured by Hollywood as a young boy um, and feels guilty for now being a part of it. As the Hollywood army moves far enough away from the village, a commanding officer gives the order to detonate bombs that they set at the village, successfully destroying uh, what was left. Um, Reading the uh, the Wikipedia article, or like the Wikipedia summary, just as is, A, it doesn't mention that last part, mm-hmm. and B, the beginning of it's just wrong. Yes. It yeah. says that she sits inside the room and after being violated, bees hood up. That's not true. That's distinctly not true. <laughs> Yeah, she attacks him before he even like makes a move on her, and then he like tries to force himself on her as she continues to attack him, and then eventually she does get the better of him. He's take he's taking his shirt off, and like it's like stuck over his head, and he start she starts clobbering him with his like flask of special water or whatever. Oh yeah, and then it, the the fight continues from there. Uh, so yeah, no, like it's a a thing um and in in the english dub i'm 99% sure i didn't look into it because i don't care that much 99% <laughs> sure that that va is uh steve bloom oh okay he does have a recognizable voice so <laughs> easy to clock um yeah no i think it's great that uh, as i put it in my notes uh yes sarah get his ass <laughs> like um yeah she, first note yeah to... kill his ass <laughs> exactly um i think that's i think that's great and then like you know we'll see where it goes because this is kind of where her character gets gets left off um for this batch of episodes but i like that she gets to like get the fuck out of there um and, and, presumably... and i love a, a physical a physical transformation mirroring her emotional one she cuts her hair like cool love the symbolism um feels less symbolism and more of hating her feminine femininity to survive more than anything that's how i read it oh I, I i read it as like a that me is gone now kind of thing and that mean that that is part and parcel with i guess her femininity but it did read to me as i'm gonna have to disguise myself as a boy if i want to survive out here um but i guess we'll we'll see where that goes um so d- didn't know how to really personally i think sarah should have killed more people <laughs> She she does get a lot more to do. I do remember that she's a major character in the second half uh, for sure. So very excited to see her journey. I knew she clearly wasn't gonna uh, just go away. So we'll we'll see where she goes. But yeah, I li- I like that you know she gets to be like an active character finally, and um, you know gets to fucking <laughs> beat a guy to death and then get the fuck out of there. Um, we'll we'll see kind of where her character ends up by the end of the show. But I feel like you know that's you know uh, a good direction for her character to be heading in um because we haven't really talked much about lalaru um but i've been kind of you know rolling around in my head uh the three uh central uh female characters in the show and you've got lalaru you've got sarah and you've got abelia i already said my whole thing about abelia i think she's a really interesting character and like you know a, a, a shitty person but is like illustrative of the uh social system the political system uh, the ideology she finds herself in um I think Sarah is like, you know, to, to your point, Danielle kind of used as a, a bit of a um, storytelling tool to illustrate what's going on in the world. But I appreciate that she's not just left as that, that she like this is like I wasn't quite sure how to feel or how I felt towards her character and how her character was being used. But the fact that halfway through the show, she gets to have this um, kind of revenge moment of, of killing this guy and, and getting away um, kind of turned me around on how I felt a bit. Um 
So I'm interested to see where she goes. And then Lala is the one that I'm like, yeah, I wish I wish they were doing more with her already. Like, clearly they're going to do more, with, or they have to do more with her, presumably, in the last seven episodes. But she, to me, is the most. It's just like, yeah, she's kind of just like more of like a narrative MacGuffin uh, than, uh, you know, an actual <laughs> like person. But this some am I making, I, this didn't make it its way into my notes or in my episode description, but am I making something up that like, Hamdo almost kind of implies that she is like not like a like a natural born person that she's some sort of like because he talks about like oh I read about her in books you know and she and she has this power to manipulate the water in her pendant so presumably like the reason why she's like you know got her creepy eyes and she doesn't say anything is that she, she might literally be less of a person than the other characters in that way um which is like you know shitty in in a different way um but um i i do kind of wish the show was doing more with her uh but we'll talk about in episode seven but where this batch of episodes leaves us off is there's potential for them to actually like start to do more with her but i agree she's she's like the le- yeah, weakest I of was, characters was very much getting the impression that similar to shu and sarah she was not from there originally yeah i i almost like less is like an artificial creature and more like a uh like a like a witch of some like a like a spirit like a mythical thing kind of thing that's how i sort of read into it um though i'm not it's not it's kind of ambiguous um and i i do think that the point of the first seven episodes and why i'm more forgiving on like lala rue for example is like what you said there's now the space for them to do shit uh you know i have that as a note in in the next episode of like now that they're like everything up to this point is just let's i don't want to be here in this space anymore like you know shu is is obviously you know trying to get out uh trying to get to lala rue because like that's the only thing that he knows that like he's like oh she's in trouble and because it's such a nice guy you know he, he needs to go save her sarah clearly uh <laughs> does not want to be in the situation she's in and that's the main thrust of the first seven episodes is like none of these people are getting much to do other than shu like i think that's because you know he's like the protagonist but now that they're out i think they're gonna get a lot more room to breathe because they're not reacting to things or potentially i don't know potentially not re- like reacting to the immediate circumstance and now they're able to like interact with one another or with the world around them because up until now everyone's basically in a cage of some sort either yeah sarah in a in a jail cell lalaru in hamdo's suite or Shu going from a literal cage to the metaphorical cage of military service. Um, so now that the bars are free, that's now I'm really interested to see where they're going with every, with everyone. And I don't know. I, is Lalaru going to continue being a MacGuffin? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, would that suck? Yeah. Uh, you know, you could almost replace her with just the pendant right now, at this point, but I'm curious to see where they go with her. Yeah. She does have some great lines in this one. Um, she's like given a meal by Abelia, which is like clearly much fancier food than um, the soldiers get. Uh, we've we've got that kind of class divide um, there between like the food Hamdo and by extension Lalaru has access to versus uh, the soldiers. Um, but Abelia is kind of like giving her shit, um, and it's kind of like the most lines Lalaru's had in a while up to this point in the show. She tells Abelia, um, I have no intention of destroying your country. You only think that way because you refuse to see the destruction in front of you, which it's like, damn, girl, fucking tell her. <laughs> it's like, like, no, like, this clearly won't last. Like, you're you're clearly going to just collapse under your own weight. Like, you don't you don't need me to to sow uh, destruction. Uh, you've already got it knocking at the door. 
uh it's just great uh big vibes of uh the it gets the ray uh ritsuko confrontation in the event. yeah sure oh yeah there are a lot of really good lines in this uh episode the part uh tabul and nabaka are talking at one point um you know like i can't remember what the fuck he says or maybe it's Nabaka and Shu. I don't remember the context, but Nabaka says like if that's if you don't like intend to follow order, if that's the case, you better die as far away as from me as possible. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Like Jesus Christ, like, that's a heavy statement. <laughs> I can't remember. I think he's talking to Tabul because Tabul says something like, you know, he's he's gonna do something about like breaking some rule or I don't remember, but he's like, if that's the case, you better die as far away from me as possible. It's like, yep, great. And Tabul, for the record. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw, like, got the connection. Or not that it's a connection. I kept thinking he looks like Lieutenant Surge from Pokemon, but... Oh my god, that's that's totally it. (laughs) Holy shit. Like, the big nose, and he has, like, spiky hair, and the whole time, like, Lieutenant Surge, what are you doing here? (laughs) Holy shit. It was bothering me so much. I was like... He looks so familiar. What? And I was thinking of like movies. I was like, what like actor does he remind me of? But that's <laughs> it. That's a hundred percent what I was thinking of. Lieutenant Surge. Sorry, I'm writing down Lieutenant Surge. What are you doing here? So I can remember that for the episode title. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about the haircutting scene, but this note I have is funny to me. I wrote better haircutting scene than Mulan IMO. Um, just <laughs> can't resist the urge to give Disney shit. Um. There, I mean, there's some, like, I like her, like, the, you know, she's outside under the moonlight. The moon, the moon is fucking gigantic in the in the night sky. Um, yeah, it's a great shot. And, like, she she lets go of her hair and, like, it just becomes, like, like almost like when you see, like, those time lapses of, like, the night sky where, like, the stars are, like, streaks. Uh, it's a beautiful little, little shot mm-hmm. or scene. Um, and then we've got, like, the big chunk of the episode is... Um... You know, stuff when they go to the village, and I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, obviously, there's, like, the really great interaction that uh, I put in the description of, you know, um, Tubble drinks shoes water ration, and she's like, hey, what the fuck? And, you know, he says, you know, well, if you're not going to follow orders, you're not going to, like, be a part of the cause, you don't deserve the water ration. And then I, the part I like about it is Nabucco, like, gives, like, what's left of his, uh, like, canteen to um, shoe, and he's, but he's, like, don't get me wrong, I basically agree with, like, Tabul. Like, if you're not gonna, like, you know, be productive, uh, why are you here kind of thing? Uh, but, you know, his rationale was like, but I don't want you to slow us down. Like, I can't I can't help the fact that you're here, so I'm not gonna let you, like, slow us down by, you know, like, not having uh, your water ration. Um, again, just kind of underscores where uh, Nabaka is at in all of this. Um, yeah, and there's because there's also a lot of stuff, like, we, we haven't touched on yet that the part of the reason Nabuka doesn't want Shu to fuck up is because the entire core is punished if Shu fucks up kind of thing so that's another kind of way to keep everyone in line you know it's not just you they fuck it's everyone gets punished and, and and all that so yeah and again Nabuka's whole thing is like you know we've just gotta quote-unquote win the war and then we can all go home so you know that's kind of every little piece along the way is like, you know, we need this soldier gathering mission to go well. So the rest of the war can go well. And I don't want you fucking that up for the rest of us. Um, kind of influences like everything he does. Um, so they come across the village and they're kind of met by like, um, a couple of men from the village who, I, I, Oh, I mean, I guess like they don't just come across it. Like they first, they like, they lob shells at them or whatever. Like they just uh, openly hostile. Um, and then, you know, they, they kind of come up and under the pretense of like, we just want to talk kind of thing. Um, and the, you know, village people are like, we'd rather 
lay down our lives than give up our children sort of thing. But the thing that um, struck me about the whole, that whole sequence where they're talking with the village people, uh, haha, the village people, YMCA, um, is, um, and maybe this is just a coincidence, but I have these screenshots and it can't be. Um, The conversation is being held between kind of one of the um, commanding officers in this like battalion that they've sent out to gather troops and kind of like one of the village like elders and the the soldier guys like like there's differences between them like the soldier is like kind of tall and slim and the elder guy is a bit more like short and stocky but both of them have very similar um facial characteristics like they've got similar um facial hair they've got similar eyebrows um literally like i'm literally looking at the uh the screenshots and like they look very similar and so to me like you know, what's kind of going on here is like, um, and you see this in the children too, that there's a, a diversity of representation in the children that I think is, is purposeful where it's like, like, yeah, all these children are being like taken from like separate villages. So like, they're all coming from like different, um, cultural and, and ethnic backgrounds. Like they're just recruiting whoever they can. But so what's interesting to me is like, there's a clear parallel between like, oh, there's like a real possibility that there's, you know, like a shared cultural or um ethnic heritage between these two characters and now they find themselves like you know in this conflict of uh um having their village kind of you know taken as like calling for the the army um i just thought it was really interesting and again like you know doesn't go remarked upon they're not like you know the characters like point this out so it's just like very uh good like visual storytelling stuff um which i appreciate yeah i i don't not necessarily to this scene in particular but in general this is a bit of a weird kind of connection i guess but i thought and it probably just rooted in like world war ii imagery i thought a lot of like uh the wall like pink floyd's the wall not nostalgia critics the wall um just just like in the that clarification <laughs> <laughs> just like in the any time that like the avarice of war it, it, and like fascism is brought up it, it it i was like oh yeah like guy who's seen the wall this is giving me the big the wall vibes um though granted that's kind of written from the perspective of the allies and how no matter what you're kind of fucked in war um but this this scene in particular is like the kind of like kill the men take the women take the children take the food you know everything for the war machine kind of shit yeah and it's it's extremely fucked up what they do because it's it's not just that they take the women and the children uh it's you know they leave bombs and then destroy the village after they they're sufficiently far enough away um which is just a great moment because it comes after um nabaka is like thinking back to when he was abductive and you know you already know his whole thing is like i just want to like see this through to the end so they let me go back to my village and it's like my guy you have no village to go back to um like you are just fully like bought in under a a false pretense um there's also a great little scene like shu has this whole thing where he like helps like a lot of the children escape and presumably they get rounded back up but um but even before that he's like well i'm just not gonna participate kind of thing um and i think like uh i think it's nabaka that like like hits him or something um uh and he's like telling his coordinated officer or his coordinated officers like telling him like you know the line i have in my notes is uh, straighten him out or else he'll uh, subvert discipline which is just Mm. a great illustrative line of like what's going on there it's like yeah again like they're they're not fighting uh you know they're not being trained to to literally fight they're being trained to be like ideological ideological soldiers like you know and part of that is like discipline uh having a, a function in that in in correcting um ideological behavior that's perceived as um 
uh, not correct. Um, so again, the show has a really strong grasp on like how fascist ideology works. Um, because I, I think this could be a show that just like the violence is just cartoonish and over the top, but it's like, no, this is like, like, I don't know, like read uh, Umberto Echo's like, or fascism. Like this is, this is just literally how fascism operates in the world. And so like to see it just like kind of like perfectly replicated as like, you know, not fun to watch, but you know, it's, um, it's like, Hey, you got it right. Like, um, uh, you, you, you know what you're writing about, um, which is appreciative because not everything that guys tries to tell this kind of, uh, story gets it. Um, as right as this one does, at least in my opinion. Especially in the anime space, IMO, you know. Yeah. Y- you you might have something that has like, oh, you know, the the Zeon Federation or uh, the F- Com- Commonwealth of Zeon. What's oh, the name of the Zeon government? The um, why, why am I blanking on it? Um, it's I don't a, know. I think it might just Church just of Zeon. Zeon. Um, Principality of Zeon, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. It's like it comes before Zeon. Yeah, Principality of Zeon. Gotcha. Um, but like you know, at the end of the day, like in the like that that's, has a lot of like muddy politics in it. You know, obviously like they're, they're supposed to be like fascist government, but like then you have like the Federation doing like similar stuff, and it's like all you know kind of gray politics or whatever. This is just like, and, and again, for better or worse, depending on if it works for you, this is honest to God or fascism. This is you know if you go through and read that the 14 i think kind of things that umberto echo points out it's like yep this this is it to a t yeah um and you know in a way that a lot of anime kind of skirt around uh or advocate for attack on titan <laughs> yeah but or just like you know the fucking um oh god what's the show uh Hitalia, you know where it's just like Oh, we're just oh, going to use fascist uh, iconography as, like, a cutesy thing. It's like, fuck off. Like, you know, if you're going to employ that, at least, like, you know, be be serious about it. Like, you know. Um, yeah. Um, and again, Chu, the perfect boy, leading the child rebellion, you know, fucking <laughs> breaking him out of there. It's, it's a jailbreak. Um, love that for him, even though, you know, it doesn't work out. But we get Boo struggling with the concept of shooting him. Like, he's Boo has the shot on him. And he, he can't pull the trigger because, again, he, he's younger than anyone else. And that's when Navako grabs the gun and, and, and shoots him in the leg. Um, but yeah, no, it's a wonder. Wonder if that's going to pay off with Boo uh, <laughs> here soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I Again, I just I love Shu as a character. Um, uh, it's like after uh, Nabuka has shot him in the arm or the leg or whatever. I think it's like and um, Nabuka says, like, you know, uh, like, she was saying something about like, you know, like, can't you see what we're doing is wrong? Um, or this isn't right. And Navika goes, never mind right or wrong and order is an order, which again, it's just like, yep, that dude is too far gone. He's too ideologically poisoned. Renamon, why? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I wonder if there's a trial where people argued orders or orders and yeah. you know, how would that turned out for them? Hmm. <laughs> uh, but the Chu goes, um, I don't think this is a direct following line, but one of the lines she has in the scene is, um, uh, something is wrong with you people you're all crazy it's just like he like can't fathom like you know why um it's just because like you, you can clearly like pass some sort of like respect for nabaka you know as like a person but it's just like i can't believe you would go along with this um and so again i just i love that about shu that he just he doesn't falter at all um and then the episode ends with them bombing the village which is just like jesus jesus christ on top of all of that <laughs> um but again, I think it's important in terms of what it, how it characterizes Nabaka's whole thing. It's like, you know, dude, you are you are bought in on a huge lie that you could actually return home. Um, 
All right. Uh, well, another voice actor, uh, Boo, which every time his name came up, I did think of Boo from Dragon Ball Z. Um, just <laughs> couldn't not immediately get that mental image. I love Boo so much. Um, Boo is voiced by uh, Kunishi Hiroko. She is the uh, voice actress I talked about earlier that, um, uh, you know, had the uh, proposition to uh, go into a mixed bath with the director of this show. Um, admittedly, while she was working on another show, it wasn't reportedly at the same time as while she was working on, uh, she voiced, um, uh, I guess to get into the vo- her voice credits, she voiced um, uh, Ojarumaru in Ojarumaru for its first 270 episodes. Um uh, and I think it was uh, in production of that that uh, the event she describes happened. So she did that. Um, she's in several other. Um, uh, I guess it's just because they're all. A lot of them are from the same studio, but a lot of uh, Akitaro Daichi's shows have like similar voice cast between them. Um, but so she's in several of his other shows. Um, but most importantly, she is uh, Takeshi Takaru in Digimon Adventure. Um, so shout outs that she's nene in bubblegum crisis tokyo 2040 uh she's sai in magic users club um and as i said she mostly got blacklisted from voice acting roles and just kind of stopped doing voice acting at a certain point and seems like she does music now um so good for her i also um you know not gonna say for sure because you know i just was on her twitter page and google translated the um her twitter bio so it could just be a, a bad translation or whatever but according to her twitter bio says like voice actress musician and corporate lawyer so may or may not be a a practicing lawyer um i didn't do any further uh you know i didn't didn't pull out my japanese dictionary to double check that that's actually what that said but um i did i I can confirm i was on her website and she was promoting a new album that i think is like covers of 80s songs um so good for her uh she had like a cute photo of her holding a like gibson guitar like, good for her she seems like she's having a, a good time despite having um some not great past incidents she also had something else um i found in my research on her she had some sort of legal dispute with the production company that made ojar maru about using her voice in like advertisements and like merchandise that she apparently like expressly didn't agree to and then they did anyway and supposedly she's like i think she either is in litigation about that right now or is like at pursuing that, um, but apparently has like hard evidence of like recorded like meetings and stuff where she made her interest explicit or like people told her like they were going to go behind her anyway or stuff like that. It's like, oh, geez, like she just like had a rough time in the voice acting uh, business, which uh, unfortunately those stories are a plenty. Um, but anyway, could you imagine if uh, she uh, like got fucked over that way by the advertising and went like, I'm going to become a corporate lawyer. <laughs> And fuck these guys yeah. so hard. Maybe. <laughs> you know. Man, um, good for her. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the English VA for, for Boo is also very interesting. It's Rachel Lillis. And I'm, I'm going to pick out some funny uh, choices first and then the big one. Okay. Uh, sh- she is Aya Kuihara, which I don't know who that is. But the only reason I'm bringing it up is because the anime is titled Boys B dot dot dot. Oh yeah, like like, like women be shopping, but boys, boys B. Boys dot, B. Dot, dot. <laughs> um, she is Sella in Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Work and Fate Stay Night Heaven's Field. Don't know who that is. Means nothing. Um, means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh shit! I just saw. Oh, she is Utena in Revolutionary Girl Utena. Okay. Um, and Choo Choo and Chiori Takasutsi in utena um uh 
Let's see. Is there any big ones? She's Mercu Marcu in Night and Galactic Railroad. Um, she's Danny in Sonic X. Oh my God! I didn't give them permission for my likeness. Um, she is Mikot Barch in Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn. Oh, okay. I don't know who uh, that is. She is she is Ryoko Miyazono in Uralai in April. That's the mother of Kaori from Uralai in April, the the main girl. Um, and then the big one. Uh, she's in Pokemon, of course, because okay. everyone I've mentioned so far has been. Uh, she is Beautifly, Torchic, Goldeen, Vulpix, Jigglypuff. Apparently, Jigglypuff in like a lot of different things. Jesse and Misty. Oh. Yeah, so every time Boo talks in the English style, I'm like, is that fucking Misty? And sure enough, <laughs> That's funny. she's going to talk about Goldeen next or something. <laughs> I love that you, you could like uh, cut out a bunch of the audio in this episode and um, make a, a Danny does the pokey rap. <laughs> <laughs> just so that you read like butterfly gold team. it's like the, that's just the poker rap she, she's also sunfloor and shink's brother so putting that out there shink's uh, for when I, brother what, it's just what it says okay. shink's brother not like shink's brother just shink's brother and she's also in wings club as headmistress oh. uh, faragona in oh the four hell yeah dub. we love we love wings club i'm gonna say this for both of y'all we, lo- we love in in my cult leader love. voice we love wings club <laughs> The rest of this recording is that on loop. Um, <laughs> uh, she also voices another character in this. We haven't gotten to yet, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll bring that okay. up later. Well, that brings us to our last episode, which is called, uh, which is episode seven called Night of Flight. Uh, what a what a night for a flight. My favorite Scooby-Doo episode. Um, Shu is locked up in a sewage drain for his actions at the village. Tabul pays him a visit to tell him that he will likely be sentenced to death. He also tells Shu about how Sarah killed a soldier and ran away from Hollywood. Shu is surprised when an unseen person, who turns out to be Boo, throws down his wooden stick in the clothes he was wearing when he first came to Hollywood. In his resolve to save Lalaru, Shu uses the stick to climb up and out of the sewer drain. As he climbs up, he finds Lalaru's pendant stuck in a sewage pipe. He runs around to Hollywood trying to find Lalaru. Um, or as he runs around Hollywood, he comes across uh, Tabul, who is, una- or is able to alert the soldiers that a prisoner has escaped just before Shu knocks him unconscious. From the outside of Hollywood, Shu sees Lalaru with Hamdo in a large room that Hamdo has filled with red roses. He smashes through the glass uh, window to reach Lalaru and gives her back the pendant. Abelia shows up and shoots Shu in the arm. Lalaru then uses her powers to activate the pendant, which fills the entire fortress with water, providing the necessary cover for them to make their escape. The Chu try, try to hide in an underground cavern just outside of Hollywood while the soldiers search for them. Nabaka ends up being the first soldier to come across Shu and Lalaru. Shu tries to convince Nabaka to escape with them. Nabaka hesitates but ultimately declines the offer. He helps them escape by lying to another soldier in order to return the favor of being saved by Shu uh, back when Shu first came to Hollywood. Uh, Shu takes one last look at Hollywood before heading off into the desert with Lalaru, and that's the end of the episode. They're out. We did it. Yep. <laughs> We're free. Um, yeah, I, I really like everything in this. Uh, you know, Boo finally being like, yeah, this is dumb. like this is stupid. I'm going to help him. And he's like, I just threw him, threw down a stick for him. It's like, you know, Nabuka's like, that's a, like, what the fuck? Like, that's enough. Like, <laughs> that's all he needed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some stuff going on with Hamdo being a, a creep with uh, Lalaru, like, you know, threatening to stab her in the eye with like a rose uh, stem and like hurting himself and being like, oh, why, why do you hurt me so, Lalaru? And, and like, you know, just being a fucking asshole. Uh, and then 
I love Shu like <laughs> is up on the roof, like the glass dome, and Hamdo's like, "Oh, please, I see the pendant. Please come down, please." <laughs> and Shu just starts like beating the shit out of the roof, breaks through, gives Lalaru the pendant, and then just like sits down. Like he's like, "Well, done my job. Like, yeah, good job, me." Uh, and then you know, everything happens after that. But uh, I love that he finally calls out Nabika. Like he he upright outright says like. You know what you're doing is wrong. Like, stop trying to pretend otherwise. Like, don't try. Like, don't try to hide behind this. Like, fucking. Oh well, we just have to finish the war. Like, you know, everything you're doing is bad. Uh, and it, it kind of just gives an gives enough doubt to to Navika to for him to cover for him. Uh, and and yeah, um, I love the the scene with the water too. Like the oh yeah, uh, the kind of weight of the rushing water. Uh, kind of storming through the castle, uh, just absolutely, and then just like spilling out, and you see like this shimmering, uh, out the uh, outline almost or, or silhouette with all the blue streaks coming out of the water is amazing. Yeah, the wide shot of uh, Heli World with all the water gushing out is is fantastic. Um, genuinely caught me off guard when it happened. Just like my notes are like, whoa, oh my god, because <laughs> it just it literally is just like it's not even like a. Like, you don't get a shot of, like, the water starting to rush out of the pendant or anything. It's just, like, suddenly there is too much water to be contained in the small room. Um, and it's it's great. Um, oh, it was a great visual. She activates, like, the amulet and, like, this, like, blue sphere almost looks like a planet kind of, like, is, is there. Kind of giving, like, a hint of how much water might be in this pendant that you know they say it's oh it's a condensed reservoir and you're like oh it's a small pendant and then this one second burst <laughs> just obliterates the inside of the <laughs> castle kind of thing again more really good um visual economy like the scene with hamdo and, and lalaru there's a lot of long lingering shots on just like hamdo like staring at her or like kind of uh squeezing his hand on the rose to the point that he starts bleeding and just like you know i i live for nice lingering shots like that uh in an anime um it's great um especially when like this that just looks really good and a part of that is just owed to it being you know 90s cell animation um the show like i thought about turn a gundam a lot uh watching this um some for like thematic or, or character reasons but mostly just because like turn a gundam is like the best looking Gundam show because it's like the last major Gundam show before everything changes to uh, digital animation. So it's just like, man, the nineties, we, we had it all right there. 1999. It's also <laughs> the same year as turn a Gundam turn a Gundam also starts in 1999 and ends in 2000. It's like the, the new millennium Gundam, uh, what a good show. Um, also boo gets a great line um in the scene you were talking about uh where uh i i don't have the line that um nabaka says but i believe he says something like what are you crazy or you know whatever and uh, boo just goes can't you see we're the crazy ones it's like yes boo gets it boo boo getting radicalized we love to see it mm -hmm. okay that was like the most fucking patronizing obvious line to me and i fucking hated it okay sorry <laughs> I just, I just love that finally one of the fascists is, is calling it out. Like one of the child soldiers is like, "Wait a minute, we're no, we're we're the monsters, but not like in a Halloween ends kind of, or kills kind of way." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just because like everybody is so like bought in up to this point, it's just nice to hear a character that's not Shu like say that out loud. I don't know, worked for me. Um, well, and the fact that he's saying it to Nabuka, he's not set like it's not Boo saying to himself, "Wait a minute, we're the baddies." It's, you know, it's it's Boo asserting to Nabaka, like, no, we're not, like, this is, like, we're crazy, right? Like, you know that. 
kind of thing. I, I, I appreciated that. If if Boo had just been sitting there going like, hmm, I'm the crazy one, then like that'd be the. But I think the way it's done, I, I, I appreciate it. It's a little disappointed that after Shu bashes the window open, that he doesn't then uh, bash um, Hamdo's brains in. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but. He really does just like sit down. <laughs> like He's yeah. like, well, I'm kind of tired. Um, Here, here's a. Here's a question. Um, I, I I just had this thought. Um, you know, we talked about how Lalaru is basically like a MacGuffin slash damsel in distress. Uh, which I, I had, I literally had that. Like that's my first note. Um, like that was like, oh, I'm glad Sarah now has agency. I'm waiting to see what they do with Lalaru. But I, I we talked about we we mentioned it kind of offhand earlier in a different context. But it, like I think I'm more okay with it in the same way that I'm okay with Shinji, Shinji and Ray's like relationship. Like Shinji kind of like I mean you can get the whole fucking lore shit about cloning or whatever the fuck and the mother soul or whatever. But like Shinji Ray is equally as defined by like by her relationship to Shinji as I think that uh what's her uh Lalaru is is to to Shu. Like both of them kind of have this like singular determination to save the other person when it, it in their perspective moments of we have to save this other person kind of thing. I will say Ray has more going on with her character though, which is kind of lacking for Lalaru right now. So I'm just kind of waiting for the show to maybe you deliver because you could very easily you know like watch I, I think maybe ava's a bit more purposeful about what they're doing from the jump but like you could e- easily watch like the first you know seven episodes of ava and be like ray is barely a character yeah 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 right. um right but um but that's, that's just, why i'm like okay with like holding out like okay maybe like lalaru is probably going to do something later yeah and maybe i'm wrong maybe she is just going to be a MacGuffin the entire way through but i'm more okay with it for the time being because i've seen this before we'll see what happens yeah, it's one of those things I've just got like a pin in it. I don't want to put too fine a yeah. grain of thought on it. Um, I just have to see where it goes. But I do, I do have high hopes. Um, as many great things as there are in this episode, though, the thing that um, I love the most is this final confrontation with uh, Nabaka before Shu and uh, Lalaru head off, um, where he finds them. He like turns off his light, um, and Shu offers him like, "Hey, like run away with us. Like we can we can go back to your um, uh, your village. Like you don't." You don't have to stay here. You don't have to be a part of this violence. And um, he's just too uh, convinced that this is the way uh, that he has to go through to get back to his uh, village that he, he can't leave. Um, but a lot of the dialogue is really good. Um, like, um, yeah, I think like um, Shu is, or uh, not because like, come back, maybe we can like, you know, work this out or whatever. And Shu goes, no way, I'm never, or no, uh, uh, I think he's talking about Lalaru. That's like, no way, I'm never letting her get back to that place. Um, and then Nabaku goes, do, do you realize what you're doing? And um, Shu goes, I should ask you that. And it's just, again, just like it, all of this stuff that's been bubbling up about like the kind of ideological differences between Shu and, and Nabaku kind of come out here um, uh, where Shu is opening this this door for, for Nabaku. And it's like, you know, you could you can come to the side like you don't have to buy into all of that. And he just like Nabaku just, just can't um, like it's really kind of sad and melancholic and i i like it yeah and the way he's like you know he's like don't expect anything else from now on like we're square now goodbye kind of thing it's, it's not like uh like i hope the best for you or like get out of here you know anything like that it's just this kind of like no i can't yeah. do that i can't join you well and the fact that he can only rationalize it as well i owed you a favor anyway not like this is the right thing to do to let you and lalaru go it's just 
well, I guess I owe you a favor uh, is the, the only thing he can think to say about it. Mm-hmm. This is where I put, it's the scene where I put, uh, Shu is the most perfect boy. You can put him into any Gundam show and he'd just fucking figure it all out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great. Um, another great shot of um, uh, kind of like this underground kind of area they're in with all these rocks kind of folded on top of each other and like these small passageways. Um, and there's like a, a shot, uh, kind of a lingering shot of, you don't you don't see any movement but of like people but you see their lights kind of flickering around in the shadows um and again just like a thought it was a really inventive shot of like oh yeah you don't need to like animate any of those people just you know uh cast cast light on the wall um that's good um i think the only other thing i have to say about this one is i so uh some more uh how the sausage is made stuff i almost messaged y'all after watching episode six to be like maybe we only need to watch the first six episodes like maybe episode the ending of episode six is a pretty good like place to end it on and then i watched this one i was like oh no 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 like Dan- danny made the right call by being like let's watch the first i, I was so happy because <laughs> i was kind of like oh i could go either way on this one but like i'm like oh no yeah i'm really glad we you know it, it really kind of it feels like a mid-season finale if, to put it in that kind of parlance i guess but yeah like it, it it's a shifting of the perspective or of the of the framing device almost like they're not in hollywood anymore they are elsewhere wherever don't know we're not in hollywood anymore boo um <laughs> and it was also a little exciting to me because one of my worries early on i think i have a note about this like as early as episode two is like oh no are we gonna spend this whole show in hollywood and i'm excited i was excited in um the last episode when they leave to go to the village, it's like, oh, we're going to get to see like a bit of the world outside of Hollywood. Um, and now I'm even more excited that it, the rest of the show is presumably going to be like Shu and Lalaru and I guess also Sarah like out in the world and seeing what else is out there beyond Hollywood, which is exciting. I'm very curious about these next six episodes. Yeah, same. I uh, so far am not. I, I'm, I am trying to think of a way where this show like really sours for me. And I can't think of one outside of like really going like out there with like a character like I don't know like if I I literally can't think of so like if Sarah decides like you know what Hollywood is actually better than being in the desert or some shit like that like that's yeah. the level they're gonna have to go to like kind of soil shit for me I'm I'm kind of jazzed up for the next uh, six yeah for me it's like as long as they don't ruin shoe then then i'm fine i can you know not look past but like that that would be the thing that would like break me of all my enjoyment of the show is if somehow they ruined shu as a character because i like him so much if shu kills someone they better do it right he better it better be the last thing he could possibly do or some shit like that if if shu just starts mass slaughtering oh no (laughs) but i don't think it's a better be shu holding someone for with his uh hands around their throat for two minutes straight <laughs> on a single frame um all right well that leaves us one last voice actor who uh, is uh, king hamdo himself voiced by ishikoji um like i said i was a little bit surprised he wasn't in uh other roles that i uh, you know more more high caliber roles that i i thought he might have been in but he's got he's got some fun ones um he's garter belt in panty and stocking with garter belt <laughs> is funny um he's silva zoldic in hunter hunter he's tiger fisher in one piece um he's tanaka oji in legend of black heaven 
he's Fujisawa Masimichi in Hell El Hazard. Um, he's a, a machine head in Redline. That's another fun role. Um, he is. I wrote out the full name because I saw it on Mal, and I was like, I can't not read this whole thing because uh, Mal does the thing where they'll put characters like nicknames or pseudonyms in parentheses between first and last names. So he is Joe the Condor, George Asakura, Jason Dirk Darling, Joe Thax Asakura uh, from Gotcha Man. But specifically, he's <laughs> in the 94 OVA version of Gotcha Man. He's not the original uh, voice actor for uh, Joe Asakura uh, in Gotcha Man. Uh, he's also uh, Mitsukake in Fushigi Yugi. He's Froy Olfanoa in Gundam Age. Um, and uh, he is Dordoni Alejandro del uh, Socaccio, a.k.a. Don Panini in Bleach. If you don't know who Don Panini no. is, uh, you're not a real Bleach head. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait, that Don Panini? Yes, that Don Panini. Um, and then uh, he's also just like... He has a ton of credits on Mal, but they're all just like one-off guys in anime. Like he's just a bunch of random guys. Um, my my example uh, uh, is um, he's Ruth in Cowboy Bebop, which would probably make you go, "Wait, who is Ruth?" And my point exactly. He's just he's just random dudes in anime. Um, he's I think, just Ruth. I think Ruth is like one of the space pirates in some random episode, but that could literally be like any episode. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just just he's a he's a guy when you need a guy. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the oh, English yeah. VA uh, Jack Taylor uh, stage name his his real name is Bob or Dan Olk. Um, uh, not been in too terribly much. Uh, uh, listed as additional voices uh, for Pokemon. <laughs> Uh, the 1998 and the the 2000 movie. Um, the most noteworthy thing, other than Hamdo, I guess, and I, I have no idea, uh, would be in Utna. He is Sionji Kyo- Kyoishi, um, which I, I don't know who that is. Uh, apparently, the student council vice president. Uh, knowing Utna, probably a rapist. I I don't know, but um, I, I'll take that bet. Oh, yeah, that's that's him. Okay. <laughs> that's that's it. He's in those two things. <laughs> that's uh... all right. Um, well, I guess that's it for these episodes of Now and Then, Here and There. Uh, next time we'll be watching the last six episodes, so episodes eight through thirteen. Um, but uh, I presumably we've been watching other anime or doing other things. I will start because my list is shockingly low. Um, because I'm mostly just keeping up with currently airing seasonal anime. Um, which I'm somehow managing because I'm watching more than I normally do, but that also means I don't have time to watch anime that is not currently airing stuff. So um, not much to report there. Uh, But I did want to shout out that um, as we were recording this, it's the day before Halloween, and um, I spent the month of uh, October slash Halloween watching all of the pre-Rob Zombie Halloween movies and uh, had a a gay old time with that. Uh, And so I'm I'm just going to put my hot takes out there. Um, Halloween 5 is the worst Halloween movie. Uh, Halloween 6 is better than people give it credit for. Uh, Halloween H2O and Halloween 2 are the only justifiable Michael Myers Halloween sequels. And um, Season of the Witch still fucking slaps. That's like the best Halloween sequel because it, it doesn't have anything to do with Michael Myers. Um, Did you also- see the, the news about Halloween ends where it's like, yeah, the director didn't actually want to make a movie about Michael Myers and Laurie? I mean, that checks out. That movie feels like yeah, a movie no, that I had believe it. Michael Myers shoehorned into it um yeah so that's a shame oh well 
I love those movies, good and bad. So I said all those all those takes, but I had a great time watching all these, and I have the um, recent Shout Factory 4K editions of those, which one look great and have a ton of great behind the scenes making up stuff. And for a series like that that I really enjoy, that was a, a blast to go through this month. Um, so that took up a lot of time that I guess I could have been watching anime. But um, they should make a Michael Myers anime, is what I'm saying. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I just think he's neat. Um, but all right, uh, Danny, what have you been watching? Uh, not too much. I've been preparing for a trip to Japan, so that's been taking a fair amount of time. That and work. Um, uh, I also started watching Bob's Burgers, which not anime, but whatever. Uh, it's good. I like it. Um, uh, in, the, in the vein of Halloween things, uh, I watched Terrifier 2 the other day. Really, really good. Um, like, I would call it one of the best recently made horror movies like of that genre like a slasher flick uh big on halloween vibes it's set around halloween like you know the day, day of day before um you know it the 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 slasher in it is really fun uh he's like a silent clown i, I compared him to if freddy krueger didn't talk but like, and therefore had to get across a lot of his like goofiness via like miming shit and like just kind of reacting. It's also like a horribly brutal movie. Uh, a lot of like really long like murder scenes uh, in a way that uh, for me I I laughed because it just like goes so far. Um, you know, one person has like a like so many fucking like wounds on them. And the guy walks out and he comes back with like salt and he literally puts salt on the wounds and it's just like okay cool whatever, um, but yeah it, it was it was good. Um, and then I started playing Star Ocean: The Divine Force, which is really good. Having a lot of fun with it. Um, they have they've changed a few things from previous Star Ocean games that I don't appreciate. Uh, like the item creation system sucks and the uh some of the stuff involving like party members coming in and out and shit you have to do with like managing that kind of sucks hopefully it's patched at some point um but it's a it's a fun little thing i was curious because star ocean a lot of the games like have a lot of planets involved with it you know you're on the star ocean you're in a, a spaceship uh and i was like man i've spent a lot of time on this one planet i wonder when i'm gonna go to another planet i then found out you don't really go to another planet like you briefly do apparently at some point but like it's not like in the other ones where you kind of go to a bunch of different ones and get like wrapped up in the different <laughs> political situations and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, I mean, feels a little silly to call it a Star Ocean game at that point, but whatever, it's fine. What a what um, a ripoff. I'm a I'm a yeah right. Uh, the the planets per dollars is is crashing. <laughs> it's um, the it's the opposite but... of Alan Wake. It's it's not an ocean. It's a lake. <laughs> <laughs> they exactly. promised me an ocean and here i've got this pond the only one planet what uh, do you mean? the the best thing um uh about it uh is that they recognize that the best thing to have the best way to make a character move is ludicrously fast uh hmm. so like there are a lot of like really big open maps uh which i saw someone say it's like oh they feel big for bigness's sake and i i kind of agree with that they could have a little more monster crowds in it it's fairly populated with monsters but whatever uh but you just go so fucking fast through them uh like your sprint is like mach 10 uh that i i don't mind it too terribly much um so yeah i'm having fun with it i've heard it's reasonably short like 30 to 40 hours and i'm like 10 hours in i don't think i'll be able to finish it before i leave uh because i'm leaving in 
a day almost you know two days day and a half whatever you just have to not sleep uh, for those two days do nothing but there you go star ocean the divine force maybe maybe <laughs> like i said like i'm, I'm not probably not going to sleep before i go to the airport maybe i'll just stay up playing star ocean the divine force um except probably probably not going to do that <laughs> but anyway um yeah not not much else uh been playing or or watching so, yeah. Well, I feel fortunate enough to have someone like you in my life because otherwise, I don't think I would know that they even made a new Star Ocean game. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Uh, and Danielle, what are you uh, watching? Oh, I'm watching a lot of current things this season. Ooh, <laughs> um, watching the Gundam Witch from Mercury show. I'm liking it so far. Excited to see where it goes. And I fucking hate Ghoul. Why is everyone okay with him now? He's like pink Fuck hair. Off guy he's got like pink and pink and blue hair yeah he seems like a guy yep. i would love to hate reminds so me of I could, I could i could get it having not watched the show <laughs> yeah no he reminds me of the worst people from utana but uh yeah sure um i'm watching chainsaw man which i'm still enjoying on the strength of the source material alone everything i hear about the um the staff on that show makes me less and less confident in it sadly because i do love the source material wait what about the staff um it bothers you um i think there was an interview that came out today about the director being like oh i'm gonna try to make this as real as possible i don't want this to be like an anime i want it to be like a movie fuck off Which, well isn't doesn't that director like or the mangaka or something like that someone involved like really fucking yeah. loves movies right F- fujimoto's like yeah he re- does really love movies but i don't think he'd be like no i want my thing to be like a movie and not like an anime i don't know whatever movies are good anime sucks so <laughs> maybe he's right uh <laughs> i think it's great so far so i have no reason to to doubt them first three episodes are all stellar um speaking of fujimoto i read um look back a one shot of his oh my god it's so fucking good <laughs> why is nobody talking about this the one, one? <laughs> one shot of his i haven't read um been meaning to i like it better than um oh, goodbye hmm. airy for what should be obvious reasons to anyone who has seen me talk about any... Is that the thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading it as gay, and you can't stop me. <laughs> um, yeah. Other shows I'm watching that I find notable are Bochi, which I think is my favorite show this season. It's just, like, absolutely um, masterfully made with um, all the stuff that's going on with the animation and everything. And I'm a sucker for a. I was, I was gonna say you're, you're bearing the lead of it's also got I... girls with guitars. So, yeah. <laughs> just watch the show and be like, "Wow, she's got a P bass <laughs> just like me." I would probably be watching that show <laughs> if I wasn't watching. Like, I'm 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 at my limit, so I can't I can't pick that up. Yeah, I'm also watching DIY, a um, cute girls doing cute things club show set in the future where they're in like a fucking Wait, DIY club. Why is it set it's in neat. the future? <laughs> If it's a DIY club, couldn't that? So it's like a contrast with all like automation. Oh stuff. no, <laughs> that's horrifying. <laughs> I don't like that. It's pretty light on the future stuff. Um, but yeah, enjoying that one. That one's also um, an impressive production. But then um, I reread We Know the Devil last night. Still one of my favorite uh, VNs of all time. That really I feel understands queerness better than almost any other thing i've read <laughs> please go play it if you're interested in gay people or uh horror <laughs> this is where i admit that i'm uh i'm a i'm a bad queer and a bad ally because i'm too busy reading stephen king instead to, to read visual novels sorry <laughs> everybody out there is 
Is there a queer reading of Stephen King? Is that possible? I mean, you could force a queer reading on anything, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, true. many Stephen King works are impossibly straight-laning. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things that's, like, I love about We Know the Devil is, is like, yes, there's, like, metaphors of queerness going on, but also all the characters are yeah. queer still. I think um, that's something that a lot of other things falter in where they like have like a stand-in for queerness but can't fucking make the characters themselves queer or the opposite where like you've got queer characters but it doesn't actually feel like a story that's about their queerness um i've heard nothing but good things about that game and um what's the other game uh from the that same developer um like yeah heaven will be mine i hear nothing but good things about those so yeah that was uh that was good i need to reread that i'm good i'm going to reread that every halloween now it takes like um, two hours to read all of it. So it's fucking breezy. Highly recommend it. Nice. I have a question for you because you didn't bring it up, and I haven't brought it up because I made the decision that I wasn't going to watch it as it's airing. Uh, are you watching the new Bleach anime, the Thousand Year uh, Blood War arc? No, I'm not. Okay. I'll get around to it eventually. It's just I'm watching so much yes. stuff this season. I That, that was exactly my thought. Yeah. <laughs> Because I well, I wanted to at least reread the manga up to that point because I'm like it's been so long since I've read Bleach or or watched the old anime, um, so I just figure I'm not gonna force myself to watch this new one because uh, it's just gonna make me think every week. Oh, I wish I would have rewatched the anime or reread the manga. So I'm just gonna make time to do that and then get to the anime whenever. But I was curious if you watched it. Um, it seems like we made the same call. Uh, okay. Um, well. Uh, order businesses we are delaying our next recording because uh our, our japan correspondent danny will be on the ground covering anime live <laughs> from from uh <laughs> japan so uh arden if maybe mm-hmm. maybe i'll see a live action anime show oh my god in bun bunraku the puppet theater apparently they're the national bunraku theater is in osaka where i'll be staying so Ooh. Uh, yeah. So you'll you'll have fun things to report next time. Um, I before this recording, I asked to confirm when we were recording. Are we so the next episode? If we're recording our next one on the nineteenth, so our next episode will be out on the thirtieth. Is that right? Uh, sorry, wait. Our our next episode will be on the sixteenth. Oh yeah. Well, this one comes out on the this, 16th. sorry. This on the sixteenth. Then the next one, the thirtieth. Okay. Yes. So you will you will hear this this one uh, on the sixteenth after Danny gets back from Japan and can edit it, and then uh, the following episode will be on the thirty. So I guess this is the one that'll be delayed. <laughs> if you listen to this live, yes. it'll just be two ep- two weeks for the next episode. So it'll be like business as normal. But the one you're listening to now, you're listening to a week later. Anyway. Yeah, and uh, I, I I do want to point out that uh, you know again doesn't matter when when you the listener is listening to this because you know uh it'll go out when it goes out uh i yeah i'm returning on the 12th and i i do have work on the 14th and 15th so um and i'll be fighting jet lag so if there if and again we'll we'll put everything up on excuse me we'll put everything on twitter um in case there's any changes uh and again dear listener you'll be uh i mean this is already going to be delayed an episode for you uh so that'll already be on twitter but if this episode gets delayed even more um because i'm too tired to edit or something like that in this episode looking at the recording uh ooh, <laughs> the recording time oh no um <laughs> it's a kind of a it's gonna be a girthy one uh so just for, for y'all uh 
if there's a delay, I'll, I'll, I'll let y'all know if I'm too sleepy or something like that, but we'll see. This is what the title now and then here and there means. It means talking about both the future from now and the future from when this podcast is going to be publicly available. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the U.S. and in Japan. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Uh, also, next time we'll be watching um, episodes 8 through 13 of uh, Now and Then Here and There, and that'll conclude our discussion on that. Um, so look out for that whatever date that's available um uh, i've been your host austin you can find me on twitter at chai underscore squared you can follow the podcast at under the kotatsu uh you can email us questions at under the anime at gmail.com or you can dm us your questions directly on twitter uh where can people find you danny you can find me at cover me and sauce on twitter probably tweeting uh photos from japan aha and where can people find you, Daniel? I am at Himajoshi Bunny on Twitter, uh, posting screw caps of We Know the Devil. I only just realized you changed your at because I was trying to tag you in a post. And it was like, why isn't Les Buddy coming up? It's like, aha, it's different. Um, all right. Uh, well, that's uh, us for this time. Uh, Danielle, why don't you take us out of here? Be crimes, do you gay, war is hell, this anime, debatably <laughs> so. See you next time. <laughs>